Hello, everybody, and welcome back to TheDestalProds.com, comic book podcast. As always, I'm Dad. Joining today, we have Birdie. Good evening. No Nico this week. Uh, he, I don't know, has a job or something. Yeah, it could be. We've had to reschedule one too many times this week. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so with Nico gone, uh, we're not going to really be talking about um, like Dark Knights things that happening because just this released an issue that was relatively big, had things happening in it. And yeah, I'm not going to talk about that without, without Nico here because it is kind of late at night and I'm in a new place, like an apartment with ro- with roommates and neighbors. And if I get into my usual thing when it comes to DC event books. That could cause some problems, being that it's 9.30 at night. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about that. What we are going to talk about is Marvel Legacy, or whatever the fuck it's called. Generations? Generations. Generations. Fuck it, who cares? It's a series of one-off stories, and much like any series of one-off stories, you might like some, you probably won't like others. And they all mean nothing. It's a grab bag. Yeah, so we've read a bunch of them between the two of us. Um, like, not even like this is not even including the ones that came out like a couple weeks before when we did when we didn't talk about them on like the previous podcasts. Yeah, he's read two. I've read three. So yeah, so I guess uh, we'll have you start and then kind of just pop back and forth for those. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll talk about the one I care the least about because it's the most why Thor. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with this one. Yeah, I I have read this. I think I've actually read them all just in terms of actually remembering what happened in them. So I feel like if I just explain the premise, you'll understand why I don't care. It's a premise for all these books. At some point in in the previous characters, past or future, the new character appears. Yeah, no, that that's true. But then a thing happens sto- and they leave. In some of the stories, it makes a little bit more sense and it could be a little bit more emotionally compelling. Sometimes it's just stupid. So in the case of Thor, Jane Foster Thor is popped back into the past before Odin's son Thor gained the hammer of Mjolnir and Loki in a weird ancient Egypt period attire lured Thor and Vikings to fight Apocalypse for some reason. Because fuck it. And Thor Jane Foster is there and she and Odin's son arrogant Thor buttheads they fight apocalypse, and that's it. Really, yep, pretty much. <laughs> Other than maybe this is tied into something in the in the recent uh, Asgard Shi'ar war thing. I just didn't know about that. Odin banged the Phoenix Force. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was a thing. It just kind of happened. Yeah, I don't know why it happened. Because why not? I mean, Odin's, I mean, fucking uh, Odin is 
Yeah, it was o- it was Odin, right? Not Odinson. Yeah, it was Odin. It was Odin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Odin's a fucking horrible misogynist. So, what better woman for him than a not woman? Or like the the literal manifestation of un- unattainable female power, or whatever. There's all kinds of shit you can fucking read into this. It's just it's stupid. Yeah, just I don't know. just you watch fucking Cyclops Santa Claus hang out at the moon, making out with a fire person. Who looks like she's like twelve in that fucking shot? Yeah. So I guess it's the Rachel Summers, not the Jean Grey version of the Phoenix Force. Or it's none of them, and fuck me. And just a grown woman are possessed by the wills of the whims of a child. That would be something Marvel would do. Or he actually stuck his dick in the fire. Like not yeah. even a person, not even a person possessed by the Phoenix Force, just the Phoenix Force. Period. Yeah. yeah, and considering Odin's whole thing is he literally tore his own eye out to gain knowledge. I guess if he thought it was worth it, he might stick his dick in literal fire. What would that get him? A burning sensation. <laughs> And lo, Odin plunged his rod into the fires of the phoenix and was granted the power of chlamydia. To which he started to scream, This girl is on fire. Yeah, and I don't somewhere care Alicia Keys stirred in the night. I don't care at all. It's, it's well <laughs> Who drawn, does? Who but the fuck I, don't, cares? I don't I don't care. Uh, so moving on uh, to the one I read for this for this week, uh, Hawkeye. Well, one of the ones. So Hawkeye. Uh, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the couples that you could maybe see telling an actual story about that would not suck. Yeah. So in this one, uh, they go an extra step by not just having the by not just having the like new generation character going back in time to be the old generation character, they have the old generation character taken out of his natural habitat and put into a de- Battle Royale-style death game. Sure, why not? Yeah, fuck it. So, Hawkeye meets Hawkeye. Two of them talk. It's nice. It's fun. It is a similar kind of spirit to like the Matt Fraction stuff from a while back, but not as good. And then, yeah, the whole thing it turned out to be a fucking plot by Hawkeye's foster circus dad. Sure, you know, whatever. Because, you know, when you run a circus that commits crimes, you have access to teleportation technology. I mean... Just fuck me, I don't know. I could see that as a joke. I mean, one of my favorite episodes recently... You don't watch Justice League action, right? I've watched a couple episodes. Okay. An episode that I really enjoy from a both from a comedic perspective is Best Day Ever, where Joker gets a hold of a mother box, breaks Lex out of prison, and then starts doing friends out on the town type stuff and annoying the Justice League. <laughs> <sighs> I really need to watch that show. It's hit and miss. There are good episodes and bad episodes. 
Yeah. But that that sounds like something that was done for fun, just to see it it be done. This, it sounds like they were. This was somebody higher up. This was somebody higher up said, "Hey, write these characters, you fuckers, or you're fired." Yeah. Yeah. At the end of it, um, just they did have one kind of nice note at the end of it where uh, like uh, Clint and uh, Kate are sitting on like a cliff edge. After everything's happened. And Clint's just like, oh, God, I'm fucking exhausted. And Kate just starts talking to him about how much he meant to her. And, like, how seeing him and having his interaction with his dad, you know, mirrored some bullshit with her or whatever. And, like, really connected. There was a real moment there. But somewhere somewhere in the middle of her fucking speech, Clint passed out just from exhaustion. It was a fun moment. It was like a nice little, just, oh, yeah, these characters, right. And they both went back to books that I don't read. Yeah. Well, I just realized both of your Marvel Generations things, you can make the argument, not as good as the Matt Fraction stuff. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Anywho. Okay. um, Second on the list, and... One that kind of actively frustrates me because it kind of kills the whole point of making She-Hulk more Hulk-like in the first place. The Hulk's book. (laughs) Right, yeah, that. (laughs) Where the whole premise of the story is Totally Awesome Hulk meets Bruce Banner Hulk and tries to be like, I'm the Hulk in control. I need to stop him from hulking out all the time. And by the end of it, he's starting to Hulk out too. To which point, Bruce Banner Hulk's like, you know, I thought you were the one who knew how to fix this, but no, you're the same as me. You're just in denial. I was like, so what was the point of this? The point was get fucked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I like the art style for this one. It feels kind of... I know it's not, but if this makes any sense, it's kind of nom-ish. I don't know if you've seen the art for this one or not. I have not. I, I, well, I've read it. I just don't remember what the art is. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up while I'm talking. It's because it, it doesn't take that long. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally classic Bruce Banner Hulk. He's hulking out. He, didn't, he probably didn't do anything wrong, but he started causing tr- damage and trouble because Ross is being a dick. Naturally. He does. And it's just... Throughout the whole thing, totally awesome. I feel I feel like I need to do a stupid '90s bro dude voice whenever I say it. Totally awesome Hulk. Totally but, awesome, uh, dude. Ciao. <sighs> uh, but yeah, he's trying to do everything safely, use the powers of the Hulk to not Hulk out, and then he gets angry and does what Hulks do. So. Bruce Banner's like, you know, I thought you were the one who might shyly show me a way to not have to deal with this shit, but nope, that would make too much sense, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, that fucking... Audience Cho... I feel, like the only, a, I feel like the only reason he, I was ever, like, kind of on board with that was solely because of Frank Cho. Yeah, well, the art, yeah, the art helps with that. The, the, the thing I always had about it 
was Amadeus Cho is another one of those characters who should it, he, who should not headline a book. No, he is a decent sidekick. Yeah. He works in like combination with characters like the Hulk or Hercules or stuff like that. But it's just they tried to they tried to like sidestep that by making him his sidekick and his own like like making him the hero and his own comic foil sidekick. Yeah. Because well, isn't it crazy? Nobody expects a tiny Asian boy to be fucking Hulk. Yeah. Okay. So I sent you the comicsology link. Apparently, the artist is Matteo Buffani. I th- I think that's how it looks like an Italian name. I don't know how to, if that's the correct way to pronounce it or not. And I mean, it's Greg Pak. If, if you're going to get someone to write a Hulk book, you get Greg Pak. But Just like, yeah, so this person get him to write better. Yeah, I don't know if this was like an idea that was handed to him or if just what's been done to Hulk's. I mean, this might be his fuck you to Marvel for making him write a second Planet Hulk book with totally awesome Hulk in it. Like he's Maybe. just like fuck it, I don't care. I mean, did you read what happened in Totally Awesome Hulk? Uh, the last thing I remember was Hulk Adamantium Hybrid. There was like there was like a four issue arc. That was just the fucking, that was just Amadeus teamed up with a real-life basketball player. Oh, that. Yeah, I knew that happened. I forgot that happened. Yeah, I read an issue of that. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that seemed like a weird period where Marvel was just experimenting with tying their characters in with stuff for marketability purposes, but not actually telling a story. Ugh. Yeah, God damn it, Greg. I like I like the Hulk. He's one of my preferred Marvel characters, but man, Marvel does not know what to do with him. <laughs> not at all, or She Hulk for that matter. Yeah, any of the Hulk family, like they've actually they've got rid of the, a lot of the interesting side Hulk characters, and the the ones they have left, they have no idea what to do with. So yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I don't. This art, it's fine. Greg pa- Greg Pak is a good Hulk writer, but this is not a story I would have wanted him to tell. Not at all. <sighs> yeah. So you've got one last one, then I've got one last one, right? Yeah. So Iron Man, yeah, Iron Man slash Iron Heart or whatever. Yes. Uh, it's not very good. Yeah, well, for for reference, I don't think the Bendis run of Tony Stark Iron Man leading up to Ironheart was very good either. But no, nah, but I've been liking Ironheart. Yeah, I like her. I like Riri Williams. Yeah, and like reading the book, it is there are things happening in it that I don't hate. Okay, but then I get to this one and. So the dumbest thing about this is it's not even Ironheart teams up with Iron Man for a thing. It is Ironheart teams up with the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, I read that. I thought that was like a, a, a mistyping or something. No, it is not. In this book, um, Riri Williams goes into the possible into one of the many possible futures where she meets the children of the Avengers who take her to Tony Stark, who is the Sorcerer Supreme. Because that makes sense. Of course. 
the only thing that ties him to being Iron Man is he has these weird little iron drone things that kind of like follow him around and help him do things. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, and the art is not good. Because it like switches between like a bunch of different artists or at the very least a bunch of different art styles. When it starts out, it is very painted. Okay. And there's a fucking motorcycle going by outside. I can't hear it, so it's probably must not be that close. It's picked up in the recording. Okay. Because the recording doesn't have a noise floor. So. Oh well. So yeah, Riri. Uh, she when she first like wakes up in the future. It's all in this very painted art style with like you know little splotches of paint kind of like bleeding out from the places it should be. Doesn't look terrible, but it doesn't fit the character. Riri, yeah, her, Riri herself looks kind of fucked in this. Every once in a while, every once in a while, uh, they switch over to a more traditional art style, which works better. But after having read like however many issues with David Marquez art, oh yeah, no, you don't. Don't don't transition away from David Marquez art. Yeah, like every once in a while, there'll be like a there'll be like a spread or like a panel or two that shows off some really interesting and like creative artwork, but only in the environments. Like, uh, like the, the idea of this future is that uh, Tony, with the help of other heroes, especially Riri, achieved world peace. It is all awesome and shit, but every once in a while, stuff from outside the world comes to fuck you. Like Morgan Le Fay. Once she shows up, it is the most fucking boring looking fight. Like, like as, they're, as they're making their way to the fight, uh, they're flying over the city, and it is this fairly decent looking landscape stuff. Uh, like, really colorful and in like, like creative looking things in like the environment stuff. It actually looks pretty alright. It does not look like it fits in the. It doesn't look like it fits with the environment that's been established at all. But it looks nice because the world that we see is all fucking monochromatic. It is just white and blue, very clean, very sterile. And then all of a sudden, you just go out and you're in, you're in a fucking Willy Wonka like garden or whatever. It is bizarre. Yeah, I can imagine. And so then we get to. Morgan Le Fay showing up, and yeah, every character holds a single face, just just neutral masks staring at each other, being all stern and shit. And there is nothing. There is fucking no energy. There is no threat. There is no fucking sense of actual build up to an actual fight between Morgan Le Fay and the Sorcerer Fucking Supreme. It's just two people looking at each other very sternly. And then Morgan's like, ah, fuck it, I'll leave. And, yeah, we get back to, like, the regular art, or at least, like, kind of alright art near the end where it gets, where it gets, like, a bit closer to Marquez. Like, not as good as Marquez, but it has, like, the same kind of energy to it. And, yeah, this book will have no impact on anything ever. Yeah. I just realized the one thing that would make Civil War II worse. Halfway through, it transitioned from David Marquez to Frank Miller art. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'd be a fucking whiplash. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I've had some books transition artists where the transition is so hard 
so much of a hard turn that you're just you Whiplash. can't read it anymore. You can't read it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's happened a couple times. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so sounds about on the same level of why as every other book. Yeah, basically. So let me talk about the only one I'm kind of glad I read. Wolverines. Yeah, that one was all right. Yeah. Well, one, it was by a really good comic writer named Tom. Tom Taylor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. And just... The father-daughter, just kind of like with the Hawkeyes, the father-daughter relationship between Laura and and Logan is one of the things I really like. Oh yeah, it's, it's one only- of like the best things about like Laura's character is her relationship with uh, with Wolverine. They man- they always manage to write it in a very realistic way. Yeah, and I kind of just like that in the middle of him fighting the. Th- dozens of undead ninjas she just appears and starts killing undead ninjas and she's and he's like oh it's pretty good let's do this yeah and then he's and then she's trying not to interfere but she's also giving him because the the whole plot is the hand i think the hand kidnapped the child that he had with the japanese woman from that one run of the comics everyone remembers yeah i think that's her and he's she's He's she's pulling a wonderful life thing, and don't miss this chance to interact with your with the people you love. And he's she's trying not to let the fact that she's happy to see the Wolverine she know she used to know again affect her. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's well told. It's fu- it as always. I mean, it's it's fun to see Laura throw Sabretooth out of a out of an airplane. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, fuck that guy. And it's also fun to see Logan react to someone do the same kind of shit he always does in fights. It's like every bone in her body is broken. She has no tendons holding her together, and yet she's getting up to stab this guy. Am I like this? Am I this insane? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of great. Like as she was like going around, like slashing. That was like, it's like those look. Those moves look very familiar. And all of a sudden, like the knife foot comes out. She's like, that one doesn't. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I like that. Uh, kind of just makes me want to watch Logan again, though. Yeah, and it's weird saying this, because I was one of those people that was very burnt out in Wolverine, and now I really miss Wolverine. I miss Wolverine in the context of I don't need a dozen Logan Wolverine comics like we had a few years ago. Oh, no, just put him back in the school and that's it. Yeah, but it put him in a X Men book with new with the new Jean Grey with Laura. Maybe have him punch Cyclops occasionally. Then we're good. Yeah, I would. I would actually really just like a return of Wolverine and the X Men because that was like a really that was one of my favorite like roles Wolverine has played of being the school dad. Are, are we talking the are the comic book or the that's a Jason Aaron comic, right? Yes. Yeah, so that was some, was the Jason Aaron comic or the TV series? Because I actually liked both of those. Yeah, Wolverine the X Men was a fine show. Uh, created X twenty three. Yeah, but like the comic, the comic specifically is the one where he like reopens the Xavier School, renames it the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. 
Yeah, I remember. I, I, I liked that run. I mean, well, to be fair, I don't think... Jason Aaron might not be batting 100%, but pretty close. Yeah, he's doing he's, he's doing a lot of real good work, and... And it's yeah, also, also a lot of work that it's it's like I've noticed like some writers I like I can't go back and read some of their older work because it's either just become very dated or I've outgrown the material. I think I could go back and read Jason Heron. Uh-huh. His Wolverine stuff is either Thor. I that's hard to say either of his Thors because yeah. he's written for both of them. Yeah. Also, an artist who I'm very greatly missing, one Nick Bradshaw. Oh, that oh, that's the artist from uh, Wolverine and the X Men. Yeah, yeah. No, that that guy needs to come back. Is what is he doing recently? A uh, Spidey. Ah, uh, uh, Spidey. One of the books where because Dan Slott won't let Spider Man be Spider Man, they have to write other books where he's kind of Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I'm gonna parrot you and say, "God damn it, Slot." <laughs> Uh, so that there's a couple of uh i mean there's a i read the captain marvel one and i was like no yeah fuck who the fuck cares no no, i don't know why they keep having i know it's weird people still kind of have to care that marvel existed at one point they really don't because no like the in terms of marvel continuity People only need to care about Marvel at this point because some people because Carol Danvers is a popular character and Marvel is a big part of her origin story, which means it's going to be weird when they do her movie in a couple of years because they're going to try to write a version of Car- Carol Danvers that has almost as little to do with Marvel and the Kree as possible. Probably, <laughs> I'm going to assume they're going to do it like Abin Sir, where like she, where like she's like some fucking like out there doing, you know, Air Force shit or whatever, and then Marvel crashes next to her, his shit explodes, and then she's like, oh, she got riddled with space bullshit, now she's superpowered. Or, like, whatever that device that turned her into a half-Kree originally, like, Marvel's trying to stop it, and it ex- he and it explode near her, and her ship gets affected. It, they pull a Fantastic Four. Yeah. Her, her, her ship gets affected by the weird shit from that explosion. I might be remembering this wrong, but wasn't it some kind of Cree wishing machine? Yeah, it it was a psychotropic Cree wishing machine because seventies. Yeah. Fucking seventies. <laughs> Maybe they'll just skip all that bullshit and go right to like Iris or whatever the fuck her weird space shit power was. Like wasn't Cree based? Oh, uh, uh Binary. Binary, yeah, that's it. Or she, or they pull the alien abduction angle, and like she never has the full binary powers, but she always has some version of the powers. Yeah, sure. Well, fuck it. Why not? This, this is the, when this movie comes out. I like the actress playing her, but this is going to be a weird adaptation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, Black Panther. They've got down in spades, as far as I can tell. But I don't know what they're going to do with Captain Marvel. <laughs> Because that's because Black Panther, his his origin story is very easy. Yeah. The leader of his country is a superhero. He is the leader of his country. Ipso facto. Yeah. And then the story Hero expands from there. Yeah, and they're going with a version of kind of what a less a less talky version of the 
story going on in the coat in the coats comics right now where there's a lot of civil unrest in Wakanda. Yeah. But yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what I haven't I mean, I've seen the pictures of Brie Larson reading the Kelly Sudaconic Captain Marvel run. So at least for her performance, she'll be pulling from the good version of Captain Marvel. But, but like actually know. reading or like or like staged reading? Maybe staged reading. I don't know. But we'll see. Because, yeah, like she is a she's yet to reach like the age where she just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah, true. So, so she, so she could very easily be like the, oh yeah, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to like, hey, yeah, I'm reading this comic, I'm reading this comic book, you nerds like, yeah, don't crucify true. me on fucking CBR forums. Yeah, you know, Michael Keaton's just like, fuck your but dumb even, bird, dude. But the thing is, even her not like in Kong Skull Island, for example, I didn't think she was acting all that much. But even her not acting all that much kind of acts like Carol Danvers. <laughs> Okay. Do you disagree? Uh, not really. Yeah, I just... I'm doing my best to try to remember anything about her in Kong Skull Island. She was Brie Larson. <laughs> yeah, I know she was That's- there. <laughs> just like... Like, her and Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, I know. I know. Two best, Two of the best actors in the movie. Nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah, two of the best actors in the movie, and like re- mentally rerunning shit in my head, like the entire time they're just cardboard cutouts of those characters. They're just like stand-ins. Yeah, that's what they are. That's entirely what they are. It's one of my biggest problems with the movie. Yeah, just Even dudes, the director agrees. Just dudes in black lycra just carrying around like yeah. fucking did, like Tom Hiddleston head on a stick. Did you see the honest trailers for Kong Skull Island? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> That dude is a the dude is a really harsh sense of humor on himself, but he also don't take no shit. You heard what happened with fucking cinema sense in him? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Anyway, so kind of like that guy. Talk- yeah, no, he seems he's he seems to have a, a better head on his on his shoulders than Colin Trevorrow does. Yeah, because there's like the that's the kind of trend recently. A lot like a lot of directors who did one or two kind of popular indie movies get pulled up for big blockbusters and then it doesn't always work out. Yeah. I, ne- I never understood that. And it's, I guess it's just Hollywood's way of trying to not go to the Michael Bay school of directing every single time. And sometimes it works. I think Kong Skull Island is a competently directed movie. Oh yeah. It's a well-directed movie. I like the monsters up work really great. It was and like any character yeah. who had character did a decent enough job. Yeah, I think the pro- the pro- yeah the problems with Kongskull Island are not the direction. No, it's not the at writing. all. It's the writing. Yeah, but like, if we weren't in the middle of like the fucking like this, this is getting really off topic, but if we weren't in the middle of like the fucking conveyor belt era of movie making, where yeah. it is. Where it is, all right, we have one thing that works. We're going to make eight billion of it until everybody tells us to go fuck ourselves. They're going to make seven more and stop. And so any, so any chance for, so any chance for like directors or even actors for that matter to actually like, to actually like start in like the small indie things and then gradually grow into the fucking blockbuster shit just doesn't exist anymore. It is either you are in one or the other. True. There is no, there's no fucking middle ground for movies anymore. It is either the biggest blockbuster you've ever seen or a straight to Netflix movie. Yeah, 
I mean, the same is true for uh, that. Uh, let's not get into that. That's not the topic of this. But so yeah, uh, there's an occasional story in Marvel Generations that's worth reading, but on the whole, it's just kind of a waste of time. Yep, like a lot of Marvel right now. Yeah, I haven't read that new Runaways yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> that one, depending on how it goes, we may need to start recording at four in the afternoon because I might have a bit. Four hours of just dead man. No, why? <laughs> no, like, like going into it, I will say that I am intrigued because they because uh, I've I've read some previews of it, and the previews are doing a thing that I didn't really think about before, but makes total sense. Okay, Nico running out of spells. Huh. Cool. Yeah, because like for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Nico, the leader of the Runaways, uh, and her, uh, sometimes contributor to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her her whole thing is that she has a she has a magic staff called the Staff of One, which can do anything in the world once. And so in in so in the original run of Runaways, uh, she just does spells regularly, just like fucking says a thing happens. In later runs and stuff, uh, what, it, what it's revealed is doing is that she actually started learning foreign languages so that she can do multiple spells in different languages. Yeah. Which actually yeah, works, right. and it's like a neat, run, a neat workaround. And so in this, she has actually started to run out of those to the point where, like, she is – she's like this amazing, all-powerful wizard, but she can't get the fucking pilot light in her stove lit. Yep. And that's really interesting. Yeah. And it also and it is, might be a way to. It might also be a way to. I don't know if you would agree or not, but the the runaways should never be a big thing. Yeah, the runaways are the runaways are a. The runaways are a mid tier superhero team. Yeah. Like I, I honestly wouldn't be that. Like I, w- I would actually kind of like it if they just started releasing like essentially runaways OGNs. Where it's like every yeah. like seven or eight months they release or like like maybe like once a year. They just tell a story with the runaways in it. Yeah, like 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 still have like the characters still have like their relationship with each other and expand on that stuff like book to book. But you don't need like an ongoing comic series. You can just have like, hey, we fucking contracted these dudes who were really into the runaways to write this fucking book, and they did it. Here you go, twenty bucks. I'd be totally down for that. Yeah. No, that sounds good. Just like some weird, like some weird, like icon imprint or something, or just like something that isn't just like Marvel mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of the uh, kind of how Marvel had, used to have something called the icon print in the early two thousands, or the maxi or the max imprint, or something like that. Runaways Max would be weird. Yeah, I, I don't think we would need to see that, but. <laughs> But I get what you're talking about, and yeah, Runaways Max is Molly at the age of 25. Yeah, just her life has gone to fucking shit. Speaking of which, are you looking forward to the Runaways TV series? Ah, oh, get fucked. <laughs> oh, things look so fucking terrible. Is <laughs> Jesus Christ? <laughs> God, like even the description of fucking Gert, just Jesus, God damn it! 
And like, uh, and like, get, god damn, mo- fuck, god. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's it's fine if you want to chase Molly Hayes and Molly Hernandez in order to fucking like, like you know, fucking get things not as white. Like, that's fine. My problem with it is that she's now basically the same age as everybody else, which takes away yeah. one of the best parts of her fucking character and the fact that she is a ten-year-old child. Yeah, it's like they read battle. It's like they read fucking Battle of the Atom. We're like, yes, this is a good idea. Also, Nico Minoru on this is listed like tenth. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like she's fucking important. Yeah, I also don't see any reference to the dinosaur anywhere. Yeah, they they they're saving that for when they reveal that they don't have the budget to properly animate it. Oh, so it's going to be. Uh... Uh, fuck Marvel. T- it's gonna be Inhumans on the IMAX all over again. <laughs> yeah, the dino. Yeah, what's what's gonna happen is they're gonna fucking release that entire first season, and it, it's no, it's, it's gonna be like fucking Misfits, <laughs> where everybody else starts getting their own fucking powers and equipment and stuff, and Gert's like, man, why the fuck did I get anything? And then the fucking end of the series, we just see a shadow of a lot. We just see a shadow of fucking Dinonychus coming out of the fucking smoke or whatever, and then just cut to black, and it gets and it gets canceled, and we never get resolution to it. There are certain like online sites that discuss comic book related stuff that I just have learned to avoid just based on stuff they've said that I just had to laugh out loud on how incorrect it is. Like someone said the reason you should watch Gotham is that there's no melodrama. <laughs> oh, oh honey. <laughs> uh one thing I've always hated is like looking at uh like movie sites talking about comic adaptations because they always get it wrong. Especially when it comes yeah. to lock and key. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But because I was talking every, about specific comic I know, book sites. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking wrong. about, but just this this was a fucking bit. Okay. Just so lock and key. They are developing a TV series on lock and key. It's coming to Hulu. They've been announcing a bunch of the cast. Um, a unshockingly large number of people from it, because the guy who's directing it also directed it. Okay. They're coming over. Uh, so far, they have cast. Um, Bode, Kinsey, the mom, and Duncan, the uncle. Okay. So those four have been cast so far. Uh, No word yet on Tyler, Dodge, Rufus, or any of the kids Kinsey goes to school with. Yeah. And in every single article, especially on Deadline... The, when when describing what the when when like telling what the story of it actually is, they say they say set in a small town in Maine. When it's not because it's set in Lovecraft, Massachusetts. Yeah, I think whoever did that was like, oh, it's related to Stephen King. It's got to be in Maine. Which one? Not all Stephen King stories are in Maine. Two, it's not Stephen King. It's Joe Hill, his son. Yeah, <laughs> who probably who is... changed his name to avoid saying, oh, you're Stephen King's son. <laughs> yeah, and who I think is a. Genuinely better writer. Oh yeah, true. I, I don't know if you heard this, but apparently, uh, some his stories that have been written recently, Joe Hill has been editing editing his dad's stories. <laughs> oh, oh god, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> just like fucking getting, just get, getting like your fucking manuscript back from your kid with just like, with like another like five pounds of ink added to it. Well, I think what would hurt more for Joe Hill is that 
yeah, he's a much better writer and he's editing his dad's stories to make them better, but I don't think he'll ever be as popular as his father is. Oh no, it's really unfortunate because like authors if he had, if he had been born like 30 years earlier when Stephen King was like 5 he would have had a better chance like like nobody talks about fucking novelists anymore and nobody talks about comic book writers ever except people who are into comic books so the only ever crowd he'll get big into is is big with is the comic book crowd and that crowd is not that big Yep, yep, yep. So anyway, we've talked enough about this. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about actual comic books now. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I guess I'll start. <laughs> sure. So Mech Cadet U. This looks kind of awesome. It kind of is. Well, uh, so uh, it, t- tell me if I'm wrong. Um, U is like... The hired, like, janitorial help at the school? Yes. So, in this world, uh, there was a big alien invasion or whatever, and what ended up happening was humanity ended up getting help from the stars in the form of giant semi-sentient robots. Yeah, I think I saw this image. And so, so what happened is an academy got set up where it would train cadets in order to one day maybe pilot these mechs. And so... And so, like, the top three students in the class, they, like, the, on the day the mechs would come, the top three students in the class would go out into, like, the fucking courtyard or whatever, and the mechs would land, and then the mechs would choose their pilot. And that bond is forever. Like, once, once, you bond, once a mech bonds with a pilot, then nobody else can pilot that mech. And like any other situation involving a school setting where there is a expectation of excellence, the kids are dicks. Yes, one in particular, because she is the daughter of the head of the Space Cadet program. Of course she is. Yeah, and so like when we first meet Stanford, uh, his name is Stanford U. His mom is a janitor, and he is a janitor as well. Uh, okay. the, the two of them are cleaning up a the two of them are cleaning up in the back of the class where where they are teaching them about you know the history of the mechs and stuff. The, the, the exposition dump. Yeah, and then the daughter, the head bitch. She just dumps a bunch of shit on the ground. It's like, oh, hey, you missed a spot. And so, and so on the day that the mech's supposed to come, uh, you, Stanford, is out doing stuff. And one of the mechs goes off course and lands right in front of him. And then chooses him as his pilot. And as luck would have so- it, bitch didn't get picked by the other two mechs. And so, so, so wait, wait. So this is a re- this is a reverse kung fu panda, kind of yeah. <laughs> Where the bitch is uh, uh, hopefully comes to be as likable as Tigress was in the in both that movie and later movies. I sincerely and, doubt it because because she ends up getting a robot in the second issue, and it is the worst kind of robot. Worst how like it is a man made mech. Oh. Oh, I see. So it's man's attempt to not have to rely on it. It's the Superman thing all over again. Don't rely on alien saviors. Yes. Okay. Also, it is very pointy. It looks like it looks evil. 
Either that or it's Gurren Lagan. No, like even like even by Gurren Lagan standards, this thing looks fucking evil. Okay, I haven't seen a picture of it, so I don't know. Yeah, it looks like an actual fucking demon. Okay. Anyway, so he gets picked by the Mac. Uh, once he gets back to the school, um, the people in charge of the school immediately try to arrest him. Sure. Because, oh, hey, you're not authorized to be in a mech. What the fuck are you doing here, you shitbag? But then the guy who, like, kind of runs the, who knows the most about these mechs is like, yeah, fucking dude, like, he he got chosen. That's, yeah, he's good. So he gets accepted into the RoboMech training program where the people who've been chosen then train to actually fight with the giant robots. On his first day, the bitch leaves a bunch of garbage immediately outside of his fucking dorm room. And says, hey, you missed a spot as she walks by. Because, you know, she's likable. I hate one-dimensional bully characters. I hate them so much. Yeah, like, that is particularly shitty. Because it is a trope that we have seen done to death. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was just talking about it before uh, the show started, and... Stephen King's stories, particularly from that era, have some of the worst examples of one-dimensional psychotic bullies. Oh yeah, fucking Henry Bowers is. There are there could be thesis papers written about him. But has she has she stuck a has she stuck a knife in her father's throat and left it there yet? Uh, no, but she did uh try to get into a fucking murder fight with the with you. Of course she did. Even though there was supposed to be no combat. Yeah, yeah. And you wins. Because, you know, he has the, he has a heart or whatever. Yeah. I don't really know the exact reason here. It, the only thing I can say about this is that if this, if this character is going to continue to be an important character to the story long term, which I don't know, I don't, if the, I don't know if Greg Pock's planning to do this as like a mini series or like an ongoing uh, this this feels like a this feels like a six twelve issue series. Yeah. So what has to happen is she either has to be thoroughly humbled at some point, hopefully soon, based on what you're describing, or they're going to go the Stephen King route of that she's just so unlikable for so long that they just have to do nothing. She just has to get her just desserts at some point. Well, I don't think it's that. They seem to be going kind of an Evangelion route. Oh, that's even better. And I feel like and I feel like I'm using that term wrong, but I might not be because so the robots are sentient. They feel. Yeah, no, They have personalities that. and stuff. And this man-made mech also does. But they don't treat it like that. The people who made it treat it like it's a robot. So after so after she like tries to fucking force a fight with uh you and Buddy, which is what he named his mech. Yeah. Uh you beats her, knocking her off a cliff. She's fine. And the mech's fine. But then the R and D team take the mech, strap it to a wall, and then start power drilling into its ribcage. Where where at what point it starts screaming. And this surprises them? Uh no, it doesn't surprise any of them. It scares the fuck out of the kid because it because this is a mech that she is tied to that is sentient in horrible pain and is directing it all towards her. Yeah. 
well, that that would happen. Yeah, so what I see coming forward to this is the this mech ends up becoming the bad guy. Yeah. Like the mech itself, that. not her. No, uh, yeah, I believe that. And she might not be the most terrible person in the world, but she's not morally strong. She's not morally strong enough to necessarily fight against the mech. She was raised by her dad. And her dad is borderline abusive. Oh, so you're, you're and also like Gendo, and you mean borderline sh- Gendo Akari? Yeah, and also like super classist. Yeah. He, yeah, he never refers to Stanford by his name. He always he always just calls him the janitor. Yeah. I don't, yeah, that's I don't mind that, the I don't mind class politics stories. They just need to be less fucking black and white, just super less, up in your shit about it. Less black and white, less on the nose. I mean, it, Steven Universe, the entire gym culture is classist. Yeah. But it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah, it works in that. Yeah. They, they have stuff like Peridot saying, well, she's a pearl. She stands there looking pretty and gets a cup of coffee or something. Yeah. It's not just but, I'm better but, but this, than you. Yep, yeah, but this it would be Peridot walks up and is like, "Oh, you're a pearl, are you?" No, not just "Oh, you're a pearl." She then like kicks her feet out from under her and says, "You know, my boots are con- clean. Lick them. You know what to do, pearl." <laughs> Always saying it with that very disgusted tone of voice. Yeah, like, like and, and all all the text boxes where they say janitor, the janitor is always like bolded. So it's like, I can't believe you let the janitor beat you. Yeah. Yeah. As, but yeah, like they, they I wish Greg, pa- I, I thought Greg Pock was a good enough writer to not indulge in those kinds of cliches, but uh, every writer does eventually. Uh, like you can only write so many good stories before you're just like, eh, I don't know. Fuck it. Henry Bowers. Yeah, and uh, artwork-wise, uh, the art is done by... I need to pull the name again because it is a really long Japanese name that I cannot hope to remember properly. Takeshi Miyazawa. Uh, speaking of Runaways, I believe he was actually served... I actually, believe he actually served as an artist in the Runaways for a while. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I just want to double-check that. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, he's also an artist for Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah, he is. Completely forgot about that. I haven't read any of the post-Civil War II Miss Marvel yet. I've picked some up, but I haven't read it. All right, yeah, he uh, yeah he worked on three different volumes of the fucking Runaways. Okay. Yeah, the dude's a really good artist. Uh, it's, you know, manga-style art. So if you're not into that, you're not into that. And yeah, this basically just does feel like a Western manga. Okay. You know, like even the even like the fucking like calling them Robomechs, having them like bond to people, that is some fucking Voltron shit. Which is also just straight up a fucking rip of Japanese shit. Yeah. But also Okay, so as an from what you've told me. I would not think to combine Evangelion with 
something like, say, Mazinger Z or Gun, not Gundam, or Voltron or Power Rangers, which is what the rest of this kind of sounds like, except for the stuff with her. That sounds like Evangelion internal issues shit, which doesn't, that doesn't gel well. Uh, in this, um, It kind of doesn't like like the like the Evangelion style stuff that was only introduced in the second issue. The first issue, she is just a bully, and I and I say bully in like you know bolded big quotation marks. Yeah, like bully as in not a person, just a bully. Bully as in brings a switchblade to fifth grade. Yeah, like reacts to being told to leave him leave me alone by like cutting some open's shirt and then carving their name into their chest, that kind of thing. Yeah, attempted murder for looking at a friend of theirs. Yeah. And so, like, having that introduced, it did add, like, a different aspect to the character, but it... But, like, with the with the introduction of, the, with the introduction of like, her mech, it did feel a bit less, like, forced into it. Because, it, like, like, it made a bit more sense than just, oh, yeah, fucking her dad's a big old dickhole, and that's gonna be a huge part of her fucking character, because the robot shut up. And having that more be, you know, focus more on the mech side of things than the dad side of things. Because I feel like the mech's going to be a metaphor for her dad. Yeah. But, yeah, they don't go seamlessly together, but they fit well enough for the story he's telling. Okay. Yeah, I'm digging this. Uh, I I would recommend this. It is from Boom. Boom, continue to put out good work. And yeah, it's uh, two issues deep. Uh, I'm not sure how long the series will run, but it probably won't be that long. And I don't, I don't mean that like, oh yeah, it'll get shitty and get canceled. I mean like it is a, it feels like a closed end story. It's, it's not designed to just go on forever. Yeah. Okay. Right then. Okay, so there, the rest of this, rest of the stuff on my list, I kind of enjoy. I want to talk about, so I want to get the one thing. That's just going to kind of annoy me out of the way first. Ancestor. Okay. So I posted art from this in the chat. It looked bad. It's annoying to read. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those like visualization type things that... I get what they were going for, but it didn't work. Uh-huh. Because the central concept at the beginning of this story is that everyone has like a certain degree of circuitry implanted into their brains that includes like an AI that's connected to your brain at all times and like monitors you and like, gives you music or things to learn or answers questions if you ask them. To the point where some people have certain neural cir- certain parts of their own anatomy tied to the neural circuits, and the information being shown to a person is shown by these yellow squiggles, and it gets annoying really fast. <laughs> yeah, you know the best method for delivering fucking AR information is squiggles. Yeah, and early on, I've in the seen story, that TED talk. So, and early on in the story, the main character, who's uh, 
uh, what is his name again? I can't Peter uh, is invited out with these friends to meet this eccentric billionaire who created a lot of the stuff that this system is based on. Who, of course, turns out to be a nut job. Who is talking like he's all anti-technology and everything, but on a regular basis has to go into a super elaborate version of his AR technology, which he's so egocentric that his he needs a version of himself created by the AR intelligence to tell him that everything he's doing is right, that he's in the right in all things. Mm-hmm. So he invites a bunch of people to his house, uh, locks the door, and cult-style picks the which ones he will evolve along with him. Very uh, jo- Jonestown type thing. <laughs> And so, yeah, everyone who isn't shot or stabbed is brought into this, including this woman that Peter was having kind of a nice conversation with during this party. The people that are evolved. um, So one of the images I sent you is of a weird ethereal thing with like a pyramid head. Yeah. Apparently, he created it. I don't know what exactly it is. He just says it's smarter, more creative, better than a human is capable of being. And then this thing turns all of them into something kind of similar to what it is. And when that this happens, is this weird transformation, and then they suddenly all look like weird android-type things with masks from something like Eyes Wide Shut. What's this book again? Ancestor. I mean, like, what is it? Are you you talking about genre or, like, theme? Yes. (laughs) To the best of my understanding, it's sci-fi. But it's one of those sci-fi things that... The, the entire the last half of the book is kind of like the last thirty minutes of two thousand one a space odyssey. Yeah. I don't know what happened because <laughs> okay, no, I know what happened. I just don't understand why because okay, so Peter and the woman try to escape. They don't get far enough. The cult leader forcibly turns them. Uh, then jump forward 14 billion years. They are now beings in a separate universe, creating their own universes, changing existing universes, collapsing no longer existent universes. Uh, at some point, uh, the cult leader gave up his godlike powers to just be a human again and lead a cult of people that were left behind by this group of advanced beings he created. Uh, for some reason, he's upset that Peter doesn't want to listen to him. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, fuck. This sounds. This sounds like it's so far up its own fucking ass. Yeah. I, at the end of it, Peter creates a version of Earth 
turns back into looking like a human, opens his eyes as a human, and it just says end. Ooh, it's meaningful. Flurgle, flurgle. Yeah. So apparently, uh, Ancestor is part of, is a, it's, I don't, I think a certain series have started to do this. They've started to make collections out of short stories that are introduced in anthology series. And there's this anthology series from Image called The Island. And this volume I've read from is collect, is collected from short stories from four issues of oh, Island. Oh, yeah, I read that, kind of. Of The Island series. And yeah, I mean, it tells a complete story out of these shortened segments, but kind of like how, um, have you ever watched something like The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits? You really ask me that? Yeah. Yes, I've watched The Twilight Zone. Okay, I don't know. Not. It, I think I've discussed Katie- The Twilight Zone with you multiple times. Yeah, but just I'm, I'm making sure because Caveman's never seen uh, the Reanimator, which shocked me. But I haven't uh, seen that either. Okay, see, this is why I ask because things that I I would assume are some, sometimes wrong about. So yeah, so but kind of like a, an episode of Twilight Zone has enough of a sci-fi story for say an episode. It doesn't have enough for like a movie or a full season of television. That's kind of what this feels like. Like, maybe this is what if this were just like a one-off 20 minutes of television or a single issue of a series and not stretched out to... How many pages is this? Uh, 130. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, there's just, there's just not enough here. So why don't you pick it up? Well, because um, I'm, I'm sometimes afraid I'm going to get into a rut story-wise. And so when that happens, when I feel like I'm just reading the same stuff over and over again, I sometimes ask someone else or just pick something at random. I try not to pick something at random too much anymore because then we end up with shit like uh, Whom Gods Destroy or JLA The Nail. You have a bizarre, like, it's, it's, like, it's, like, those, it's like those stories are drawn to you. I suppose. But this was um, one of my, my local comic store reopened in a new location recently, and I asked one of the new guys for a recommendation based on stuff I have been reading and didn't want to just read more of, and this is what he suggested. And that man should be fired. Told, I guess. I mean, but when I should have put it back the moment he said, and then it jumps forward 14 billion years, at which point Whoop, I, kind nope. of did like a, I kind of did like a dog thing, and I was like, huh? <laughs> I don't know why I kept reading after that, but I read it. It's interesting, but not really worth a whole hell of a lot. I might give it to Rollin to read to Cora because he likes these kinds of stories. He might get more out of it than I would. But this this kind of so far it's up its own ass speculative philosophical like not speculative, speculative sci fi can be fun. Philosophical sci fi can get really irritating. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I wanted to get that out of the way because it's the only one I had no fun with at all. So, go ahead. Alrighty then. So, Spider-Gwen. How is Spider-Gwen? Oh, wait, wait. Before we start into this, I wanted to tell you 
a stupid another stupid Marvel thing they're doing with Spider Man. I told you about the uh, new TV series, right? It probably it's it's stupider than I imagined from a continuity perspective because uh, Peter is now attending a high school called Horizon. And, uh, 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 and he's uh, teamed, and he's teamed up with Miles Morales, Anya Corazon, and uh, Gwen Stacy. Oh, get fucked! And Gwen Stacy's uncle is the Jackal. Uh, 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 no! That sounds like a fucking grenade went off in a sp- in a fucking bucket of Spider-Man continuity. Yep. And like Shocker, Rhino, Doc Ock are all students or teachers at this school. Oh, Jesus. God, no. No. How is it that a character who is incapable of escaping high school in any new iteration of a book that he's in is somehow being Batgirled? Well, to be fair, Marvel's a lot of Marvel's TV series that are run by Marvel Studios themselves just feel like toy commercials anyway. So I get that they, based on the advertising I've seen for this, they're just putting in every marketable thing people like about Spider-Man into this, no matter how little sense it makes. <sighs> anyway, talk about good Spider-Gwen. Yeah, so Spider-Gwen. Uh... Sorry about that. They're going through a weird arc right now. Did she get her powers back? No. Okay, yeah, because she lost her powers a while ago, and they kept talking about, yeah, she, yeah, you don't have powers anymore. Yeah, she lost her powers a while ago, and instead of, like, just, you know, a book about her not having her powers anymore, she's now started working with Matt Murdock, a.k.a. the Kingpin of Crime and Head of the Hand, in order to get serum injections that give her temporarily her powers back. Wait. Matt Murdock's the Kingpin now? I thought he worked for the Kingpin. Uh, no. Matt Murdock is the Kingpin. Okay. He's the Kingpin's lawyer, but also the Kingpin. Okay. No, that's... Okay, so there's someone that he, like, keeps on hand as, like, a patsy as the Kingpin, but he's the actual Kingpin? I think so. Okay. No, that's not... If you were going to do an inversion of Daredevil a la Kingpin, that's not a bad way to go. Oh, no, and it works. Yeah. And yeah, so uh so for a chunk of it uh the book was like uh, there there's a there's a little chunk of the storyline where um Shield hired Wolverine and Shadowcat in order to try to capture slash kill Harry Osborn who was becoming the lizard. Right. Yeah, I saw this. I think I saw, I saw little bits of this and is this and does Black Captain America still hate Spider-Gwen? Nope. Okay. I think they're bros. Well, sisters. Bras. Yep. <laughs> Broad city bras. Shaw, dude. Anyway, uh, yeah, so th- that was that was the story that was happening for a while in the book. And then in the most recent issue, it just said, like, hey, you, hey, you want to see what's happening with Mary Jane and the Mary Janes? Like, Let's no look at, at that. all? Not really, just kind of just... So the link actually, so the link of it is that um, what's happening is um, Utau, the watcher for this world. Sure. Yeah, he's hanging out uh, watching 
multiversal game shows. Where it is essentially a multiverse version of Family Feud with the Spider-Gwens, including a Spider-Ham version of Spider-Gwen. And the Bodega Bandits. Just. And so it's so like they get up there and it's uh, like. I, I need a minute. Just keep talking. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so they get up and so they get up like to the podium or whatever and fake Steve Harvey with his with this really weird like old man hair, but it's like pink fluff. He's like, all right, first question. Who is Spider-Gwen's arch nemesis? To which the Bodega Bandit obviously responds, him. And she's like, eh, I mean, I, mean I, I guess, I don't know. You just, he's kind of there, but whatever. At which point, the rest of the watchers descend down on Utahu. And it's like, you lazy motherfucker. Do your goddamn job. You are assigned to watch over this world. Watch it, you shitbag. I should also say that Atau, while while looking like a watcher, is also in like a big dad chair with like a, with like stretch out in the ottoman, watching shit in like an old fucking like nineteen seventy CRT. You know, just like the laziest asshole possible. Like, ugh, fine, and switches over and watches the story of Mary Jane convincing one of her friends to be the replacement drummer for the Mary Janes for a gig they have because Gwen is off doing Spider Gwen shit. And MJ is the, apparently the only one who's caught on to the fact that uh, Gwen is Spider-Gwen, or I guess Spider-Woman in this world. Because whenever she says that, the replacement drummer, whose name escapes me, which I feel kind of bad about, uh, she's like, dude, just fucking pull your head out of your goddamn ass, MJ. There's no way Gwen is Spider-Woman. That's just stupid. And yeah, nobody believes. Nobody really believes her. And then the book is. And this the most recent issue is just, yeah, just kind of hanging out with MJ and them. It feels like a different comic, which was actually kind of refreshing. Like I was actually kind of burning out on Spider Gwen for a while. Uh, like I mean, after a while, uh, like just this recent storyline of fucking issues have all kind of felt a bit repetitive. Yeah, well, I was afraid that the problem of she's losing her powers, but she still wants and has to be Spider-Gwen responsibility type thing, that was going to get old real quick. And it did. And, like, as much as I like the idea of Frank Castle, the Punisher, as, like, the captain of the police... Oh, he's not anymore. He got suspended for being, yeah. a, for being a crazy person. Yeah, I figured, but... Yeah, now I think it's a uh, Jean DeWolf is in charge, yeah. and she is in the pocket of the kingpin. Uh, of course, she is. I'm pretty sure. Again, it's been a while since I've read those last so, few. Someone issues. killed her in the main continuity. I can't remember if it was Kingpin or Green Goblin. Probably Goblin. Yeah, probably. I mean, she. I mean, she was like going around doing stuff as her weird alter ego, and then Spider Island happened, and like it revealed like the goblins beneath the fucking city. And she just kind of vanished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so going forward, uh, her dad's dead. Uh, George Stacy was killed in prison. Well, it's it's not like Captain Stacy has never died before. <laughs> yeah, and now it'll serve as her second Uncle Ben. Because as we all know, every Spider-Man needs at least two. How long do you think it's going to be before they clone Peter? That's... <laughs> 
Probably after the Glenham story. In an attempt to get like a stronger version of the lizard serum, they try to clone Peter, like an alien resurrection. (laughs) Yeah, it'll probably come um, after the Gwenham story arc. Yeah, I forgot that was happening. Yes, it is. I I only want to see that if they, because like, I don't care about black suit characters really anymore, no matter how popular it is with Spider-Man fans. The only reason I would want to see Gwenham happen is because see whether or not it confirms my suspicions that uh, Mary Jane will be Venom in this universe. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool for like three issues and then get boring. Yeah. But yeah, like I mainly want to see it. I wanted, I want them to do something different. Yeah. I don't want it to just be. I don't want it to just be. Hey, what if Venom had like tits, but like not in that weird '90s way. Yeah. Well, that's why I suggested Mary Jane, because in the continuity of characters in Spider-Gwen that I'm aware of, the only person who has any sort of, like, in inbuilt resist- resentment to Gwen at all is Mary Jane, even if it's, I don't know if it's gotten as strong as, like, it was between, like, Eddie Brock and Peter Parker. Oh, no, like, but there, no, there isn't really any. I don't really, like, okay. like, 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 a lot of it was, like, more, like, a lot of any kind of resentment that was there. I felt like it was more frustration in the fact that she kept fucking up the band. Yeah. But now that MJ is on this, like, Gwen is Spider-Woman kick. Yeah. That, like, could change up, that actually could change up, like, the like the dynamic between a Spider-Person and a Venom. By, like, yeah. having the Venom be, like, you know, like, super obsessive about the stuff, but then having, like, MJ being in there, like, legitimately having to fight. It could be neat. But in- no, I I do agree with you. I don't. What that's initially the stuff about Spider Gwen was different enough in like execution that you're like, okay, they're not just doing a Rule sixty four Peter with Gwen, or is it Rule sixty three? Uh, sixty three. Yeah. So yeah. So that so Gwen is not just Rule sixty three Peter in this universe, and a lot of the stuff that's the most interesting is the stuff that's not just. If what if Spider Man but Gwen, yeah, type stuff like you know Frank Castle being the chief of police briefly, or Daredevil being the kingpin, that that kind of stuff, yeah, or fucking I hell, enjoy. like her relationship with the fucking Parkers, yeah, yeah, that's also really interesting. How I think Aunt, Aunt May and she have a better relationship than she and Aunt May and Peter and the main continuity have had for many years. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because in this, uh, that's because in this fucking. Gwen actually seems to give a damn in the mainline book until it is until it like adversely affects his life. Peter don't give a fuck about his family. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I I really hope Spider Man's a fucking like uptick in like interest. Yeah. Like this book, this, it, book it, this book was a lot of fun at, at the start of it, and like it still has interesting ideas and interesting directions it could go with a storyline if they just don't take the not, most obvious directions t- they could. Yeah, it has not turned into Dan Slot Spider-Man. It has not. Despite the fact that this book in like the f- in like the 3 years it's been out has had like 7 number 1 issues. Yeah, it keeps rebooting. Well, not rebooting, it, it's just like relaunching. New new jumping on points every 5 or 6 issues, <laughs> which aren't jumping on points because it keeps the continuity and doesn't explain the previous continuity. Yeah. Like I've read all the number one issues. They don't feel like number ones. They feel like the they feel like the number after the last issue. Yep. 
Like, they barely even have a thing at the beginning of, like, hey, this is what happened previously. Like, in order to, like, get new readers caught up and then get you into, like, the new status quo that will be with the book for a while until they shake things up and fucking relaunch it again for fucking season nine or whatever the fuck they call that shit now. Yeah. Ugh. God damn it, Marvel. Yeah, yeah I just don't really. I, I, I do enjoy Spider-Gwen. I hope it does more different and not, like, stupid different like what if black cat were punched in the face and suddenly was evil <laughs> i'm not gonna get over that one i don't think for a while yeah no they don't have a black cat in this do they no i don't know how you would do that because i don't get gwen is still so like kind of tied to her neighborhood that doing a black cat thing would seem kind of like from what I remember of the parts of New York that Gwen tends to hang at what would what would black cat be robbing like an an electronics store actually I just kind of got an idea instead of black cat being like a cat burglar just like fucking smash and grab Oh, like an art, like just like a armed robber type thing. Kind of like, like, like does what he can to like, does like you know, guy black hat because obviously, yeah. But sexual inst- tension, yeah. Well, they, they could have they could still have like a female black cat and do that, but eh. I feel like it might be a bit of a stretch. There's, a, there's enough lesbian tease already in the Spider Verse with fr- freaking. Uh, Gwen and there was a Gwen Silk thing for a while where people were like, oh god, no, don't do that. And yeah, don't please. <laughs> You're not that stupid. But yeah, uh, one thing they yeah, so like he is like he he is a guy who you know will just like break into a place like not really subtle or anything, just like grab the shitty can and then fucking bounce. But he like goes out of his way to not have to use physical violence. You know, just, okay, so just, just like, just like case- property damage, but not human life. Yeah, like 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 he'll like he'll like go to like a like an like an electronics boutique, and like you know, case plays out for a few days, get an idea of like when people leave, when security system is down, when this do when this doing this, and just fucking goes there with a crowbar, wrenches open the back door, and then just like leaves with like nineteen DVD players. Okay. It would like keep some of the like the aspect of like their relationship of like him being a criminal, but like not a horrible murder criminal like she usually deals with. Yeah, like something and, like okay, that's the only thing I kind of liked about um the horrible Spider-Man comic series, TV series I just described. They did a Black Cat episode recently, and the only thing that was happening in it was that Black Cat had bad luck powers and Spider-Man kept trying to stop her and shit just kept fucking up around him. <laughs> yeah, and uh well that and she would uh Black Cat was voiced by Azula. Oh, nice. Oh, another <laughs> thing. Bit of a twist or whatever. Uh this dude keeps getting arrested because he's just really shitty at robbing places. Yeah, no, that would be funny. <laughs> yeah, instead of having bad luck powers, he just has bad luck. You see, like, it, that's the stuff that I kind of want to see in, like, a Spider-Gwen thing. Like, it is, like, enough recognizable things in order to, like, hey, I know what that is, but flips them in a way that makes them, like, new and interesting. 
Yeah, that they're not just. It's not. Um, it isn't just a palette swap. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah, it's not. What if Spider Man, but with tits? Yeah, <laughs> which I, it, I don't. People thought that was Spider Man. That that was Jessica Drew's problem for a while. I never agreed with that. Assessment. No, no. <laughs> She was like created as like kind of a distaff counterpart, but she always had her own fucking thing going on. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, her '70s series was kind of a mess. I mean, yeah, but that was the '70s. In the fourth issue, she was strapped to a, a she was strapped to a um, a chair falling out of the sky alongside a werewolf. Yeah, that sounds like the '70s. <laughs> the '70s were a weird time for everybody. Uh, so yeah I hope Spider-Man gets good again or at the very least gets interesting again yeah okay so uh, you've talked about a lot of them recently so I want to ask is this so mainstream we can all we can all agree mainstream Spider-Man is the worst yeah the amazing Spider-Man with Peter Parker is bad yeah is would you prefer to read more of this or Miles Morales Spider-Man that's the thing. Both books are in a bit of a slump right now. Okay. Well, I mean, I know about the slump with uh, Miles Morales one. We talked about it last time where it's like, what if he was the son of a criminal? Well, no, he was always the son of a criminal. But, like, the, that's the whole story at this point, from what I understand. No, 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 it ain't. Not at all. Okay. Well, then I've missed a few issues. Yeah, uh, like... I was just up into it because because one of the books I was going to talk about later was the new Spider Man stuff. So then you okay, can do two I'll in a row, do, and then I can do the one. You can do the one. Yeah. So you can if you want to just go ahead and do this Miles Morales Spider Man thing. Yeah. So in the last few issues, um, yeah, so in the last couple of issues, uh, it has been um, like people have been coming into uh, like Miles' life trying to fuck things up, and he ended up like getting into a fight with like Hammerhead and stuff, and almost killing him. Because of horrible shit going on in his life that just kind of like built up this pressure. Specifically, it was his mom. Because his mom found out that A, his dad was working for S.H.I.E.L.D. And that B, he was Spider-Man. And so he walked out on both of them. Which, you know, for a kid, that's rough. Yeah. And so he was going through some stuff, accidentally, like, almost killed Hammerhead. And then his mom kind of came back into his life. and was like, hey, sweetie, you wouldn't have killed him. You're a good guy. You're a good kid. I raised you better than that. And it was and like for a while there was like a, a, a Miles just like questioning whether or not he wants to be Spider-Man anymore. And then he went to Japan. Just left for Japan. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was something related to his criminal father, but apparently not. Nope. Let me just double check, but I am near 100% certain that, nope, he just did it. Okay, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's just a, you know, he just like, oh, God, everything's fucking falling apart around me. My parents are talking to each other. Hammerhead's out there. Lana fucking bombshell is now for some reason an insane obsessed fangirl. 
I think it might be brain damage. I hope it's brain damage. Because I actually really liked her character. Yeah, and like Genki was uh, trying to like talk about it, maybe being spite, maybe stop being Spider-Man for a while or altogether. And but yeah, in this issue, he just like he just talking to Genki, just like, hey, fuck everything. I have four hundred eighty-seven bucks. I'm going to fucking web web myself to the bottom of a plane and fly to Tokyo. Okay. Oh, yeah, now he's Not in Tokyo. What I and would he, do. And he meets fucking Himiko and her weird underground super casino bar thing. Okay. And he does that some weird like, like a- 007 shit. And all of this like A doesn't really make any sense or matter to me and B it doesn't it isn't indicative of what's on the cover which is Miles in spider costume, being arrested as the cops are about to rip off his mask. That's the cover, and nothing remotely close to that happens. Don't you just love truth in advertising? Absolutely. I mean, like that—that's actually kind of when I when I went into this issue, like expecting, like I expected it to be like a story of like, oh yeah, his life's going to shit, so he does something stupid, and ends up getting arrested. Like, that would have been a more believable storyline for me, or at least, like, a more... I can see I can see the point A to point B on that. It's like, his life's going to shit, does something stupid, gets arrested. Boom, boom, boom. That makes sense. Instead, life's going to shit, doesn't know what to do, boom, 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 goes to Japan. Yeah, that is... Took a hard left at Albuquerque on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'd Yeah, both like both the good spider books are in a slump right now. Yeah. But at Which, least they have the potential to be good. Yeah, I mean, like I doubt that I I kind of doubt that uh, like either of the books kind of reach like the level I expect them to reach given like the stuff I've read before them. And Oh, this is really just making me miss Jessica Drew even more. Yeah. I want a follow-up to that. Even if it's like a single issue, like a year later, just where they're at in their lives. How's the relationship with Roger going? How's the detective agency going? How's Gary? Or is it Jerry? Hmm? Or kid? Uh, Jerry, I think. No, I do. I just, I want more of her relationship with uh, Porcupine. I want more of her trying to convince Carol to not be such a bitch. Okay, yeah, Jerry. Okay, yeah, short for Gerald. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, the only moment I bought since Civil War of Carol actually caring about people again was at the end of the Dennis Hopeless Spider Woman run. Yeah, but said like, "Hey, get fucked." Ugh, God damn it! No, there's. There are there are so many good books that they, they that they could fucking be doing right now. Ugh. I I feel bad. I feel bad yeah. for Marvel. Yeah, they're 
they're in a different their 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 problem is the opposite of the problem DC was in with the New Fifty Two. New New Fifty Two DC they went whole hog into this one thing that nobody liked. Yeah, Marvel has just diffused themselves and stretched themselves so thin that they have no direction at all anymore. <sighs> like I might not like the post original Civil War Marvel books or like the the Bendis New Avengers led era, but there was a clear direction in the across the whole series of comics at that point. Yeah, like, and now the direction this, now the direction just seems to be eh. Yeah, like everything post Civil War two stuff just happens. Maybe yep. it'll stick. Maybe it matters. Who knows? It probably won't. Ugh. That. Yeah, like usually I'm a big proponent for like, yeah, kill these characters, leave them dead. There are a bunch of dead characters or like characters that have gone through like big status quo changes that I'd normally be fine with that I'm just really wanting them to return to the fucking status quo they had before. Yep. Like having Laura as Wolverine, that's great. But I kind of want I kind of want like Logan, like actual facts Wolverine to come back and have the two of them fucking Wolverineing it together. Like having him inter- having him interact with fucking like uh, Gabby and Jonathan. Yeah, maybe Kamala comes over and says, "So are you not just an angry Canadian anymore?" Yeah, maybe. Fuck it. Her and the champions come by for a fucking hangout and just like Wolverine to the barbecue, just like threatening to stab anybody who fucking touches this grill. <sighs> yeah. Ugh. But instead, no. We get fucking old grumpy Wolverine in one of the like seven X-Men books that are out right now that are all various degrees of kind of shitty. I kind of liked the Jean Grey one just for moments like when she goes to see Doctor Strange and she's upset that Doctor Strange is not like yelling out spells and putting on a big show. It's like, you know, that costs extra. (laughs) Oh, Doctor Strange. I remember when I read your book. Well, that's another book that lost direction. Yeah. And lost anyway. potentially a really interesting character. Yep. What was her name? Zelda, I think? Maybe. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've looked at that book. Something with a Z. Yeah. She was potentially interesting and like a... Should they ever feel the need to, like, switch things up and maybe get rid of fucking Stephen Strange and introduce a new Sorcerer Supreme? Maybe somebody who spent uh, the entire run of that book in a magic library. Like, instead of having it be Tony cock-gobbling Stark. That still pisses me off. It shouldn't piss me off this much, but it fucking does. Yeah, so next team. Else? Okay. Um, ow. <laughs> uh, Alright, let's get the one that it's hard to say much about because we've said everything about the series already. Lock and Key Small Worlds is still really good. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's, well, it's the same drawing style. It's still Joe Hill. I kind of like the idea of an earlier generation of the, of the Lock family just kind of playing around with the keys. 
Oh no, like, the, 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 like that, that's kind of, that's that's something I'm fucking loved about Lock and Key. Aside from aside from everything about Lock and Key, is that the one shots aren't just like bullshit stories about people that don't matter. No, no, they're not. I'm not saying they aren't, but I'm just it's it's not tied to the main plot from the original series. It's oh no, just, it is not. It is just like weird little bits of history that help inform this fucking house and give the house a lot yeah. of character to it. Yeah. Just all these amazing adventures that have happened in this house. Yeah. And all the great stuff with this artist and the like weird twists in perspective, the weird shit that happens with all these magical powers. That's all still really consistent with the original story. I like all these characters, but it's been a little while since I've read this, so I can't really remember most of them, but I, I mean, it's lock and key. I wanted to talk about it at some point and I guess I'm just sad Nico isn't here to talk about it. Yeah. On the other hand, we can probably talk more clearly about this since Nico isn't here. Go, go, Power Rangers. Fuck yeah, bitch. Have you, I don't know if you've seen this, but have you tried the phone thing? I have not. Um, if you, if you turn on phone sounds on your cell phone and dial in, uh, 332393, you get the theme to Mighty Morphin. Let's try that. So, what did you say it was? 332393. Oh, and I just got wise that number. As I was typing it out, I was like, wait, that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I can't get it because I'm in Canada. Yeah. Anyway, um, I like this book. I'm not sure I want to binge it as much as the Kyle Higgins book. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so for those that the so Mister, as opposed to the Kyle Higgins Mighty Morphin Power Rangers book, which focuses on what happened after Green with everything that we know from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is the same up to the end of Green with Evil, and then it went off in an interesting direction. <laughs> That's a word for it, yes, <laughs> but an awesome direction nonetheless. And yeah, that book is still awesome now. It's it's weird. Both with the movie and with this, and with both comic series, Power Rangers is suddenly geopolitical. <laughs> I know. It's weird. <laughs> it's really good, but, like, really weird. Yeah. Okay, so, um, this, the, so this new series by, by one Mr. Ryan Parrott, who worked on the, uh, the tie-in book to the 2017 movie I've talked about a few months ago. Um, and also wrote Star Trek comics a lot, apparently. Yeah. Uh, this basically tells the story immediately after the end of Day with the Dump, Day of the Dumpster. Yeah, and everybody has just become Power Rangers. They are... Goldar has just attacked. They've just formed the Megazord. Uh... 
And this is where I start to get a little confused based on the first two. So you've only read the first two issues too? Yes. Okay. So is there some reason, like, does does the school just not know that these five are friends outside of just the, at, at outside of Power Ranger stuff? Like, were they just not friends publicly? Uh, from the looks of it, uh, just like based on what I'm looking at, uh, so the main four, like, so, um, Jason, Zach, Billy, and Trini, those four were friends. Yeah. Before they became Power Rangers. Yeah. Then there was a, there was a fifth guy that was part of their group that isn't a Power Ranger. Yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. That guy, uh, Adam something. Yeah. He ends up beginning to date Kimberly, who is then introduced to the group through him. Yeah, I remember that. That seems to be the big change on top of a bizarre little training montage, I guess, with Trini and Jason. Yeah, yeah, that's also weird. Not as weird as um, the first time post-Day of the Dumpster, the first Power Rangers mission post-Day of the Dumpster is, fuck it, let's just go to the moon and try to get Rita. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> one thing like if you can say anything about this new team or like this new um, writing style for the power rangers a lot more proactive yeah a lot more proactive and just like with kyle higgins they're trying to make rita a lot smarter like i never thought i would hear rita say the words i'm not going to jump in and attack blindly again yeah it's it's cool or- I, yeah, I like but I also kind of like the idea that the the astronauts that released her immediately, she's holding prisoner to get information about Earth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is just... And also, uh, this book is being drawn by Dan Mora. Yeah, who's famous for something called Klaus, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I'm, God. Told, I'm told that's a good book. It is very good. And I and the reason I say famous for Klaus is that in the back of Go Go Power Rangers, Dan Moore's little bio says, "Artist from Co- Costa Rica, artist on Klaus." <laughs> so I assume Klaus is something based on the just sheer amount of incredibly intricate detail of this series. Yeah, I'm gonna read Klaus. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're fucking with me or not. <laughs> I'm having a hard time getting to read on this. That I've succeeded. Okay. (laughs) I own Klaus. I just haven't read it yet. Oh, dude. (laughs) It was on sale for $2 recently, and I was like, you know, Nico and Deadman cream themselves about this series all the time. I should probably read it. (laughs) Yeah, it's like seeing fucking Dan Mora. Draw fucking Rita, Goldar, Finster, the fucking command center, the castle on the moon. The other two henchmen whose names always escape me. Squat and Babu. Squat and Babu. Yeah, just fuck, dude. Damore is a really good artist. Yes, he really is. Uh, Although, about the art, one thing that's still a little weird to me. uh, Sexy Rita. That's still weird to me. I always thought she was kind of more like the hag witch type thing, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't really get any kind of, like, sexy vibe from her so much as she just well, appears younger. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but, like, the last page of the first issue 
is her with all her henchmen. And she looks significantly younger than I'm used to Rita looking. Speaking also, of younger. Like, much lo- much taller and a lot more like like sexy witch, not hag witch. Uh-huh. Well, but speaking of younger. Just be the change in costume. Speaking of younger, Billy looks like he's about five years younger than the rest of this fucking team. Yeah, that's a little distracting. He looks like also, fucking Justin. Yeah. And also, it's it's still weird to no end that Trini keeps having to call Kimberly the cock blocker. <laughs> uh. Like, not, not, not specifically the cock blocker, but it's always timed that way. Yeah. So that's still a little weird to me. I think what's, what's probably going to end up happening is, like, I like this story, but I'm not as like so gross, engrossingly immersed in this story as I was in the Kyle Higgins. What would you call that? The Lord Dracon arc, the Black Dragon arc. Uh, yeah, let's go with the Dracon arc. Yeah, I wasn't. I was not so immersed in like tense issue to issue with this as I was with the Dracon arc. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. Because they're like totally different stories. Yeah, like 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 the Dracon arc is a fucking tense ass story like like really dark from like top to bottom from like the art style to like the tone of the writing itself to what's actually happening in it it's all very serious and dark and it is like the fate of the fucking world this is this is closer in tone to like OG Power Rangers or like or like OG Power Rangers if it was made today yeah and also like in the in the realm of other good to decent speculative sci-fi I realize the whole purpose of the Black Dragon obviously being Lord Dracon, since that first arc is all about Tommy getting over the stuff he did while green with evil. The whole, from a character standpoint, it's all about him figuring out, I am not the person I was when Rita controlled me. What better way to do that than to literally fight an evil version of yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, okay, you're a dick. I'm not you. I can get past this now. <laughs> and it was also kind of a cool way to introduce Saba. Yeah. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to just, him. oh yeah, Tommy, he's not really around anymore. Didn't, Don't worry about him. And then he just descends Saba from the heavens. the Falcon Zord? <laughs> like, that, like, that was a weird moment for me. Because I, I know, like, for certain season Power Rangers, they started, like, tying all the shit together from across multiple series they used. But yeah. that was one of the weirdest. Like, they used the Tiger Sword to summon up the Tiger Sword. That's weird to say. Tiger Sword to summon Falcon Zord. <laughs> yeah. I, think I'd probably I don't know. Maybe there's some ancient that. Asian fairy tale or something about fucking tigers and falcons. Well, there's one about tigers and a phoenix, but that's a little different. Never mind. Anyway, uh, so, um, about this book specifically, I like. I think the only thing I don't like about this book is it's a little. I don't like the quotes thing. Okay. Like, um, so when they're introducing all in the first issue, and this doesn't, it's just, it's a minor nitpick, but in the first issue, when they're introducing all the Rangers, they give you all the, this little, like, if you were writing on a Facebook type thing, likes, dislikes, ah, right, that. quotes that, yeah, that kind of like, okay, we don't really need this. You, you've done a good enough job establishing who these characters are just by writing them. You don't need to narrate, describe them. Yeah, yeah, that's... Also, did I, did I miss the part where Jason used to be a bully? Uh, 
in the original series. I like I know he had anger issues throughout the original series. I don't remember him being I don't think like, he was ever a bully. Yeah, cuz that that was the one character quirk in the first issue. I was like, "Wait, that's why he's like so committed to all this like being the leader and being committed to his martial arts things like I was a douche to a kid when I was young and I never want to be that person again." That was a little like everything else is pretty consistent with what I know about all the Rangers from Mighty Morphin. It's just that little that one little thing. I'm not quite sure where they're going with that. Where they're going with that is they wanted to give him depth and not just be I'm the fucking greatest person ever. Yeah, I suppose. But yeah, no, nobody nobody wants their superhero leader to be just I am a good person because I am a good person. Yeah, but the rest of them are good people. They just like yeah, but they're not the leader. Character. Yeah, it's a modern guess, day storytelling thing. Yeah, I know, I know, and it's done better here than it is in the 2017 Power Rangers, where they kept talking about him being angry, and you never really saw it. Yeah. Meanwhile, but, in this, the first meanwhile, in this, the first two issues are about a mission going poorly because he is kind of just a, too hot headed and fucking going at it. Yeah, too hot headed, too intense. Zach, his closest friend, is like, "Dude, chill." <laughs> yeah, just like. Slow your roll, dude. Here, I got some hip hop keto tapes. They'll help you relax. Yeah, now, I mean, I'm out of my garage. Don't now, worry. Now, do you have a, now, do you have a VHS bang player? All these bitches at once. <laughs> I did like the little bit where, where Zach was just hitting on everyone at school, and Jason's like, "Hang out with you can be exhausting." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, like all the character stuff in between all the characters, aside from that moment at the end. With the the weird disconnect between Kimberly and the rest of the Rangers at, at meeting her boy her boyfriend her boyfriend being a friend of a previous friend of theirs, that's just a little odd to me. Maybe maybe it'll go somewhere. That's part of the reason I think I'm just going to collect this and trade because I will. I want to own this because I mean Dan Mora art. Yeah, nothing totally. Else, but. But I think I, I I read I bought the first issue because I was curious. But I think again the cover is really great. It's like this kind of pastel art style type thing. Uh huh. But um, yeah, I think at this point I'll just wait for a trade for the rest of it. Okay, yeah, and that's and that's totally fair. Um, this this isn't essential reading. No, unlike not, the, unlike not, the, unlike the it's, uh, not, it's not the like they they're they're gonna release a supercut of the entire Dracon arc as one book. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like that thing, the fucking Kyle Higgins. That is that is fucking like top of the fucking syllabus right there. Yeah, particularly if you're any in any way a Power Rangers fan. Yeah, that is a fantastic book that does a lot of that does a lot to modernize and revitalize OG Power Rangers. For this generation, in a way that the movie failed to do. Yeah, I mean, the, the the movie was not so bad that I didn't have to do that thing you and I were threatening to do, where we took volumes of the of that series and said, "This is not my Power Rangers. This is not my Power Rangers." But yeah, it, it just it left it in an attempt to not just do what the original series did again. It left itself with almost no personality at all. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Go Go Power Rangers is kind of more in the middle. Yeah. Where it where it has like the personality and more character depth and stuff than uh, like it has it has more character either depth the stuff series that, or the movie yeah more in line with the Kyle Higgins stuff but doesn't but doesn't reach the Kyle Higgins level of of like just fucking awesome because it still has like ties to trying to make this a 
modern, more lighter tone Power Rangers. Yes. But yeah, I mean, Dan Mora art. Has this guy worked on anything other than Klaus and this? Uh, I, I think so. Okay, I'm, I'll have to look it up at some point because dear, I have not been this struck by an art style since like uh, like Marquez or the Dodsons, or it's just it's expressive, it's detailed, it's in, it's interesting to look at without being like deliberately interesting, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so he works in a book called Hexed. Oh shit! Yeah, I read that. Yeah, that's actually not bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, and one of the things that was apparently of some note that Nico was talking about when we first read Claws. Yeah, I don't know, Dan Mora, fucking awesome artist. Yeah, and Mister Parrot is not a bad writer. No, he's he's a good writer. It just he had the he had the near impossible task of following up Kyle Higgins. Yeah. Like, like I get the impression that um, they went to they, they. I'm not certain. I'd have to look at the numbers, but I get the impression that by Boom Studio standards, the Kyle Higgins Power Rangers story was a huge hit. Yeah, like I, I actually feel like I would I have would, to look at the numbers. But. Yeah, I actually, I actually feel like I wouldn't be as hard in this book as I am being if it weren't for the fact that it came out after Kyle Higgins' run. Yeah, no, that's the it's. I'm I'm right there with you that there is nothing wrong with this book. It's just, it's not the Kyle Higgins stuff, which had me riveted page to page for, I wanted the Dra- Dracon art going like 16, 17 issues. Something like that? I don't know. But it is, it's also really weird that like the book they released first for the Power Rangers thing is the one that is, that, that starts in Medias Res and the one that starts from the fucking jump, it comes later. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I, if, if, one if thing, anything, it feels like, um... Parrot has less of a vision for this book. I, I don't know for certain. It's just two issues, but I feel like Parrot has less of an issue, a, a vision for what this book is than what Kyle Higgins does. Yeah, I can see that. If that makes any sense? Because, like, based on the way the first issue goes and how the next 16 or 17 play out, you get a clear idea of what Kyle Higgins wanted to do with that first arc. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like there's just... There's an idea for what to do with this, but not a clear vision or direction for it at this point. If that makes any sense. Yeah. One thing I kind of hope they do end up like exploring more. I never thought I would say this. There seems to be hinting at some kind of like burgeoning relationship between Jason and Trini. Yeah. And I find that weirdly interesting. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I still think that they together are not as adorable as Zach and Trini were together in the, Power Rangers pink thing. Oh, no, absolutely not. But, hey, <laughs> there are story paths they can go down. They can go like, hey, yeah, they tried it for a while, didn't work out, they're still bros or whatever, but then, like, hey, Zach's there. Yeah. Like, that happens, I think. I, I feel like what if they go that route with with Jason, what might end up happening is um, kind of like, it, it would be like an organic storytelling thing where how, like, you and I said... Why are Wonder Woman and Superman dating? They're too much alike. Yeah. I kind of feel like they would like be attracted to each other because they see things in each other they like. They would go on one date and realize, oh my god, there's too much of me in the other person. I'm like, yeah, this is just me dating myself. 
Yeah, it's like you're good to hang out with your good friend, but yeah, I'm gonna go hang out with like the dancing guy. And Jason's yeah. like, "All right, cool. I'll go be by myself. I'll end up with some biker chick." <laughs> I like Zio, but there was some weird shit in Zio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho. All right, so that's my two in a row. Your turn. All right, Green Arrow. Green Arrow got weird. Uh, and what? Okay, just just for reference, um, you're gonna have to. How weird are we talking? Because I just watched an episode of Green Arrow, not of Justice League Action, where Green Arrow went to a future where dinosaurs became hyper intelligent future rulers of Earth because. Booster Gold thought he could make Jurassic Park by pulling dinosaurs out of the past into our present. Not that weird. <laughs> but it's the weird of... Okay, so New 52 and, like, I guess Rebirth to an, to an extent, um, Green Arrow, he's based in Seattle. Yeah, okay, I remember that. So, in his book, an evil... So I'm he's, I'm so, wait, so I assume he's no longer fucking Black Canary on the island. No, uh, he's fucking her in Seattle. Okay. Well, he was for all, but then they kind of broke up because he was being a bit of a dick. Well, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. As, I mean, as much as everyone thinks Black Canary and Ollie are kind of destined for each other as a couple, and they're the very definition of a dysfunctional relationship that just never completely breaks. <laughs> yeah, they'll get together, hook up for a while, then Dinah will realize, oh wait, Ollie's a fucking Ollie's essentially like seven seconds away from getting a Greenpeace tattoo on his fucking dick. I'm a bounce. So anyway, uh, yeah, so he's based in Seattle. Um, and over the course of the last, like, I guess 20 issues or so, whatever fucking issue number we're at, um, an evil satanic bank involved in all crime in the world as well as human trafficking involving weird mole people uh, set off a bunch of terrorist attacks that turned Seattle into Star City and then framed Oliver Queen for murder. Okay. And the last few issues have been have been Ollie going around the world despite not having money because he's technically dead. Or like have all his assets frozen or something. I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure because there's a lot happening in these fucking issues. He's essentially okay. going around the world having one off adventures with various superheroes where he has to re explain what the what, what the fucking ninth circle is, which is the evil bank. Okay. Uh, to all these different superheroes, and meanwhile, um, Emmy, his sister, and Dinah are conducting their own investigation into the weird mole people who appear to be holding the woman that Oliver Queen is accused of murdering hostage. Okay. And in the most recent issue, uh, all um, Ollie teamed up with Hal again uh, to go into space to fight an evil space satellite. But, like, not Brother Eye, like a different one. This one's evil in terms of money. Okay. And so this does, I'm this doesn't have anything to do with the weird thing that's going on in Justice League right now, where, like, things, weird alien creatures have possessed the Justice League to show them the evil of the things that were trying to save them from being possessed? That's a... <laughs> I... I think that's the Trinity storyline. Okay. 
Because Justice League is the future children. Oh, right. Yeah, shit. I blocked that from my memory. It could be worse. I'm well, reading it right. Saying, I'm reading it right not now. Saying much. I'm reading it right now, and I actually like a couple of the characters. Okay. Like especially uh, the Flash and Jessica Cruz's kids. Like Barry Allen and Jessica Cruz had a kid. Uh, they had three kids. Okay. Yeah, uh, two twins who are tied to the emotional spectrum, and one speedster. Back when I was reading Justice League, they were actually they're actually building a relationship between those two that felt kind of natural for the story. Where Barry was essentially serving as like an emotional crutch for Jessica who was still trying to get over her horrible horrible fucking phobias and shit, her traumatic experience being power ring and then becoming a green lantern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so having Barry be a point of stability for that, a relationship a relationship forming out of that makes makes sense. Yeah. And also, I'm, I've, I know it's because of the TV series, but I am so sick of emo Barry Allen. <laughs> yeah. Right now he doesn't have a problem because he has the emo speed force. Yeah, I know, but... But, like, in Justice League, he has the regular speed force, and so he's fucking happy Barry. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that I actually, no. actually kind of really like about this... Um, just as like a very small thing is seeing John like John, like a Superman's kid, John just being like a super happy 12 year old talking to his 28 year old younger brother. Cause like there's a point where all the kids have to like go off and, you know, live on or live, live in this time for a while, you know, have a place to stay. And so Clark brings Hunter cause his name's fucking Hunter home. And you know, they're just, they're kind of all talking about stuff and, John is like, oh my god, I have a brother now. This is fucking sick. And he's like, hey, come on up. I want to show you all my action figures and shit. And just like, just like you know, the kid dragging his fucking older brother upstairs, but it's the older brother dragging the younger brother. I don't know why. It's cute, and it it, it fits for John. In a way, I was not expecting this fucking book to fit. But then, Cube, Cyborg's kid, is a fucking non-entity. Um, Wonder Woman is just getting shit on this entire fucking story. Well, yeah, because her whole it is does she have more than the one kid that is just her kid with Superman, and maybe she was not the best mom. Uh, the storyline for that is they had the kid in Themyscira, and then Wonder Woman abandoned him, and then John and Damien were super dicks to him. Meanwhile, uh, the daughter of Aquaman and Mera is kind of great. I just really enjoy her. It's like another Mera, and I fucking love Mera. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 okay, so if Dinah and Ollie is like a relationship that's adorable together but will never work, Mira and um, Arthur is just the relationship that works out, and you're just happy it just worked out. <laughs> Which is weird because the because the storyline in the Aquaman book right now is throwing a third wheel into this. Yeah, I know. I don't Which, really. I, mm. I, she's okay. That character is not really a problem, but she doesn't have the 
personality. I even um, I think Dan Abnett knows that even though he's throwing this third wheel in, th- this character doesn't have the strength of personality or charisma that Mira does. Oh no! Like like it'll it'll be like them having their it'll be like fucking Arthur and Dolphin having their fucking like undersea Aladdin adventures or whatever, just fucking like circling each other in a whirlpool while smiling. And then the second Mira shows up, Aquaman's like, "Lay the bitch!" And it's fucking like full force, just like shoulder checks Mary and the gut is like, oh, thank God you're here. Uh, I want that story to get those two back together. Yeah. Well, I imagine them getting back together is going to be kind of contingent on fixing the shit that's wrong with Atlantis right now. Yeah. For those who don't know, in Atlantis, uh, there was a coup. Arthur is currently living in the slums because there's racism. Uh, and the entire city is being protected by a magic dome. That yep. is also part of a metal dome. Because, you know, Atlanteans are nothing if not xenophobic. Yep. And we got Green Arrow. And it's it's, it's been alright. Yeah, even from the start, I thought it was one of the books that was always just kind of good-ish. Not not one of the greats. Not Dan Abnett's Aquaman. Not Greg Rucka's Wonder. Not Dan. Not Dan Abnett's Aquaman. Not Greg Rucka's Wonder Woman. Yeah, not, it's been good enough. Yeah, not Tomasi Superman. Yeah, it has been good enough. Uh, but one thing I really don't like is the fact that they keep switching artists out. Like it's two artists, yeah, and they're both well, very good, but they're both very good in different directions. Yeah, if you, you and like the, so they keep going back and forth between them. Yeah, like every couple issues, it will be. It'll be like uh, the guy who did thinner, or co- no, sorry, not, not thinner, colder, and the guy who started on this book. Yeah, at that point, um, well, if I had to guess, that sounds like a scheduling issue. Like the other, the two artists are busy on other projects, and they have to switch off duties every now and again. Yeah, but, but like, that's, that's so, probably that's it. Get, but I, like, I, I know, I I see what you're saying. That's going to get really confusing for writers long for readers long term. Yeah, and especially because there is such a difference in their art. Like, like the guy who did, like the guy who did Colder, I can never remember his name, but he is a very clean and disturbing art style. Like, like n- n- there's not a lot of lines on his characters, but they're able to express a lot of stuff, and he is able to get some really good horrific imagery out there, which is great for stuff like the Burned, which are like these foot soldiers of the Ninth Circle that are horribly scarred, like golem creatures that breathe fire. Because, you know, they're a bank. Okay. And then, and then their guy is not as detailed, but he's able to get a bit more frenetic in terms of, like, action actually happening on screen. Because his characters have a bit more line in them. They're not as detailed. But because of that, he's able to get... He's able to put them in more ridiculous scenarios without losing too much detail because there wasn't that much detail there to begin with. Okay. And so, switching back and forth between those two very different art styles... It's like we were talking about before, like fucking artist whiplash. Yeah, the books. I'm I'm gonna like finish out this arc at least. See what happens next. Cause I like Green Arrow. Okay. But yeah, just everyone. Every time I try to read a Green Arrow book, it starts out pretty good, and then eventually devolves into I just don't care about this anymore. Ah. Uh-huh. So the CW treatment. 
You know, people have been telling me season five, uh, whatever was better is be- is better overall than season three and four, but that's just that season three and four were the overall worst of the show, so that's probably why they lost a lot of the re- of the watchers. Yeah. I mean, you and I stopped after three, right? Yeah, I watched season three, reviewed season three, watched an episode or two of season four, got to the point where Felicity ended her like paraliz like her being paralyzed story by literally walking out of her relationship, and I was like, oh nope, fuck this. Yeah. Like that that's, is that's the season. That is like fucking that is film school level storytelling. Yeah. And that's the problem a lot of people had with season four is the bad all the city shit and again like i i will i'll I'll put this out there again like i do not think that this show has like bad i don't think anybody like the cast of the show deserve most of the shit they get like like a lot of the shit a lot of the reason this show is shit is because of the creative people behind the camera oh no no i don't have any problem with the actors it's just the the people in front of the camera are doing a decent job they are doing the best what they can but i think it would be I think the show could this get show a, a the show could get a lot the show of needs new writers. Yeah, the show needs new writers, and it could get a lot of mileage out of nuking Star City and rebooting the show on Supergirl's world as actual Green Arrow. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think they want to do that. Because they will never do that. Yeah, they will never do that because that because. is too big a move. Yeah, that's too big a move, and Berlanti is too kind of invested in. Like as much as it gets weird, as the, as the CW DC shows have gotten weird over time because of the shit that's been happening, they still keep trying to make Arrow feel like the Nolan Batman era. <laughs> oh, and no one wants that anymore. Particularly since apparently in in the most recent season, they had a man who was made of nuclear rags. Yes, yes, they did do that. Yes, they did. That was Ragman. So at that point, I don't know, lose the tone. But here's the thing. The rags themselves weren't nuclear. The rags, the reason that like the rags were nuclear had nothing to do with their powers. The rags were magic before they were nuclear. Okay. Then, then Felicity dropped a nuke on his hometown and the rags jumped up to protect him from the radiation. Okay. Sure. Because remember, Felicity is now technically a mass murderer. I am so sick of Felicity. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, no more derivations into TV. We, it, no, we are done with that. Yeah. Until we get to news. <laughs> then we only have one piece of news for that, which is just a kind of an update on something we've talked about before. Yeah. Okay, so this is my last book, I think. Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll save the other one for when he goes back and we can talk to someone who's not familiar with it. So, Angel City um, is a good book, not a great book. Okay. Because uh, it's not, it, it's an indie book, but it's not from one of the indie books that necessarily gets the best people. Uh-huh. It's because it's, uh, I think it's Oni Press. Yeah, they did Scott Pilgrim and basically nothing else. So yeah, but this is just um, 
Yeah, I wish this was. Uh, I wish Nico was here because he tends to like discussing these. This is a very kind of basic uh, uh, Hollywood noir redemption story because the main character of the series um, is a small town fi- is a small time fixer for a mobster in Hollywood in the late in the early in the early, late forties. Dolores Dare, you know, very very noir name. Uh, and at the beginning of the story, uh, a friend, a friend of hers who she came to, uh, town and came into town with, with, you know, nothing but a suitcase and dreams of Hollywood. Um, she recently was found dead, loaded up with syringes of various kinds in a dumpster in, in the back of some Hollywood executive building, excuse me. So when a local reporter who took the pictures mentions this to her, she's at first like, yeah, I don't really care. I can't care. It's just Hollywood. And he's like, yeah, you're a better person than that. And I guess she, at some, I guess at some point in the first issue, just kind of figures out, yeah, I guess I am a better person. Because even though she's like, yeah, it sucks what happened to her, but what do you want me to do? At the end of the first issue, she's like, yeah, well, I guess I got to figure out what happened to her. And from there, it's a pretty good little noir noir uh, murder mystery thriller. Like, the, the main, uh, her main associate, the Japanese guy, is, uh, what does he call it? Um, he's Japanese-American, but he's like a free, the freelance photographer. He just sells his pictures to various news organizations in the town, but he tends to specialize in the murder type stuff. And and you learn more about her, about Dolores, and that she was like a circus gymnast in the 20s with her family, and then the depression hit and everything was fucked. So she moved to Hollywood with a friend she met at the uh, poor home. I don't know if what's, I can't remember what the term is, but a poor home. And Stuff did not work out in Hollywood. Eventually, her friend got famous enough, but she never did. And so the best she could do was just, like, work tables. And so one thing, Linding, at one point, she just got sick of all the men grab-assing her, and she beat the shit out of a guy while essentially dressed as Zatanna. And local mobs just like, hey, you've got, you've got skit, you've got... Hey, you got mobs, you kid. How do you want to beat people up for me? Yeah. Hey. So... That's what she's been doing the last couple of years. And yeah, the cops are dicks, but you know, it's, it's, it's noir. It's no, it's noir LA. Of course the cops are dicks. Yeah. Actually it's LA period. <laughs> yeah. It's LA. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, well, it, it, they would be dicks if it was just an LA story because it's a noir LA story. They kind of have to lord it over you. Like when someone uh, roofies her to keep her from investigating something she's not supposed to. She wakes up in jail without her gun or her money and the cops are like, you know, you gotta be careful walking home drunk, lady. You gotta don't know what's gonna happen to you. Yeah, anything you have to do a pretty dame like you out on these fucking LA streets. Yeah. I would continue that joke into another direction, but I can unfortunately can't say any of the words that they would use. Because it's yeah. a noir story in LA. Yeah. So and the, and 
things get out of hand. It's like connections between uh, Bugsy Mo, uh, Bug, not Bugsy Lawless. What's Bugsy Malone? Bugsy Malone, yeah, between Bugsy Malone and like executives at things like MGM and Paramount, and like pay to uh, pay to play madam who provides girls to these high class executives in exchange for discretion, and the bosses and the muscling in of different uh, mob groups all plays into this. And there's, and I probably should have read. There's like uh, little bits and pieces from like actual like noir. It, like actual news accounts that were used to create the kind of stories that this is inspired by at the back of this. I probably should have read some of those to get some of the background because I was a little lost. But I'm always lost reading noir stories at some point, so that didn't really bother me that much. The only point that kind of bugs me with this as a story on its own is uh, the artist Megan Levins is good for style, but... um, it's been a while since I've seen this, but I sometimes uh, an artist doesn't know how to make their characters interact with the setting. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, there's this scene where Dolores is chasing down this woman to beat her and torture her for information, and the running motion looks like she's running on a treadmill. <laughs> like both feet are off the ground. Her her foot, her leg that's bent is in front of the one that's straightforward. It's some Flintstone shit. Yeah. So that's a little distracting, and because like the most, this is taking itself mostly seriously. And there's a scene where a group of, um, I don't want to call them gangsters, but like Hispanic tough guys duke it out with the police using like chains and crowbars and pipes, and it's kind of awesome for the like couple of panels it's done, and that's all pretty brutal when it's happening but you follow that up with a woman looking like she's exit stage left (laughs) exit stage left even (laughs) it's a little distracting but for in terms of an oni press book like considering i've never heard of any of the people involved in this janet harvey or megan levins it's it's pretty fun for this, and I kind of wanted Nico here because he tends to appreciate the noir stuff more than you do. So, yeah, okay. But yeah, it's it's well colored. It's interesting story. The sheer amount of shit that this woman puts up with and then has to beat her way out of it is impressive. Welcome to noir. Yeah, I mean, usually uh, noir stories with female protagonists are not as common, at least as not as what I'm aware of. No, they aren't. But the way women are treated in noir stories. Yeah, no, like that. No, that that element of this is very consistent with every noir story I've ever written. But the fact a story where a woman is treated like a woman in a noir story and then gets revenge like a man would in a noir story is unusual. Yeah, that's rare. Most women in noir stories, they're a hot set of legs that lead up to nothing but trouble and then they die. Yeah. Or... They are aforementioned legs leading to trouble, and then they're in on it. Yeah. Whereas in this story, she's the hot set of legs who attracted a mobster, but she ends up going with the good guy photographer at pot. <laughs> this will be an uncomfortable relationship for a couple of years when she's dating or married a 
half Japanese, half American photographer in LA right before Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, that could only go well. <laughs> Speaking of the the time period though, when do you say like the traditional noir period ended? Uh like ended? 50s or probably like like what like when like for like I mean you can tell noir stories in any period, but like the golden age of the, noir. Yeah, the area when everyone's like, this is the what people, like, atmosphere, time period, setting, this is what people associate with noir. It's like, I, I always think it starts in the 30s, because there's not as much in the 20s, because it's just kind of too happening, I suppose. No, I think, like, <laughs> a, I think, like, a, like, end of the 20s. I think that was, like, when, like, I think it was, like, White Heat and Scarface or something. Yeah, there's a movie. No, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's called White Heat. It's like credited okay. as like the first gangster movie. Okay. Yeah, 20 well, 29 would make sense because that was the financial crash. And I kind of associate a lot of noir stuff with the depression. Oh, no, wait. White Heat was uh, 49 and it was just considered one of the biggest things. Oh, okay. But yeah, so I mean, like the 30s and 40s is the era I associate most with noir stories. I. I've never really heard of it going into the 50s. Maybe I just don't think about the 50s much. But yeah, according to Wikipedia, the classic period of the noir, of the American noir film, is the 1940s and 1950s. Okay, yeah. So it can go a little earlier than the 40s, but it's mostly the 40s and 50s. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of the that that's the decade or two where everything is like, oh yeah, this is the fuck, this is noir, motherfuckers. The golden age of it for me tends to be the forties, but yeah, fifty eight had stuff like Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah, no, there were and um, uh, Double Indemnity is another one that's in the fifties, I think. But I just uh, watched yeah, a fucking so, I just watched a movie Bob video about fucking Kiss Me Deadly, and now I really want to see it because it looks fucking insane. Oh, is that the one with the nuclear bomb? Yeah, in the briefcase. Yeah. Okay, I did see that video. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> It does look insane. Well, I, I mean, not as insane because I just saw trailers for the most recent Darren Aronofsky movie, Mother. <laughs> uh, but, but Darren Aronofsky movies always look insane, so that's not yeah, as surprising. Yeah, you can't really judge Darren Aronofsky on the sanity level of a normal filmmaker. <laughs> Yo, motherfuckers, ever seen Pie? Requiem for a dream, motherfucker. Ass <laughs> to ass. <laughs> There's going to be, like, a huge collection of, like, really confused, like, young ballerina girls, like, having to do sexuality because of Black Swan. Yep. It's like, oh, hey, mom, look, this movie's about ballet. Let's watch this. And, like, sleep over. And then just the next morning, <laughs> just two of them, like, two of them, like, two of the girls, are, like, awoken to something horrible inside of themselves. One of them is just, like, fine with it. The other one just is just crying. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I actually would recommend reading Angel City. I mean, if you if you enjoy a, a kind of fun, messy noir story with decent to good art with a few minor hiccups, and it's like a quick six issue mini, you you probably get a kick out of this. And I like I don't look at Oni Press stuff that much, so when something like this kind of comes up, I'm like, okay, that was bad. Yeah, like the only. The only only press stuff I ever like had any. The only only press books I think I actually knew as only press books were like 
Scott Pilgrim, Invader Zim, and The Brides of Helheim. Yeah, so not much. Yeah, three books of their apparently extensive catalog. Yeah. According to fucking Comixology. But, yeah, so we should, um... Ah, crap, sorry. Anyway, um... Yes, that's my last book, and I I might actually mention this to Nico when he comes on next time, because I think he would actually like to read this. Alrighty then. So, does it for what we've reading then? On to news. So I mentioned a little while back that I am going to be trying to avoid having, like, crossover stories in this stuff. So, like, this this, this one is about the Hellboy movie. Normally, I'd only talk about this in the movies podcast, but this is something that we mentioned in the comics podcast last time because it was relatively important for what was happening. And there's an update to this. So, for those who missed last time, uh, the upcoming Hellboy reboot uh, had cast Ed Screen as uh, Major Ben Daimyo, a Japanese-American character. Uh, this led to the usual rabble-rousing of whitewashing and blargle fargle blargle racism from the internet. But this time, something different happened. Instead of the actor like trying to justify it or the people trying to justify it, uh, the actor, Screen... Just left. He left the project. Just stepped down saying, hey, I did not know that Ben Daimyo was Japanese. We should get a jet. We should get an Asian person to play this character. And everybody in the process agreed to it. Including the producers really statement saying like, yeah, it was kind of stupid for us to do this. We'll get somebody. We got to be proper. And now they have uh, as it as it has been just announced by a Hollywood reporter. That Daniel Day Kim has been cast as Ed Screen. Sorry, not Ed Screen. Has been cast as Ben Daimyo. Okay. Yeah, this comes shortly after Daniel Day Kim left Hawaii Five O for not being paid as much as the white guys. Yeah, all the non-white actors left because they were had been consistently asking for the same paycheck as their co-stars and were just not getting it because. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say because racism, but I don't know how else to finish that sentence. <laughs> Allegedly because racism. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could make like, the I, argument I know it that is, they were... I know it is, like, I know it is very much like, oh yeah, just fucking, they're not going to be the same as white people because it ain't white. Like, that is racism, but in order to get out of the, just like saying, hey, yes, these people are racist and potentially being sued. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It could be that just the producer's I guess if I was going to play devil's advocate, I could say the producers didn't think that the other co the uh, the the stars are not as big or as important as the two white leads, so they don't necessarily need as much money. But if it like if given some of the figures I've heard, I don't know if it's the the difference is as big as I've heard it is. But that's kind of unacceptable if it's as big as I heard because like both the characters that left were fairly significant cast parts so yeah and i mean i mean like if if you're going down like the route of like of like hey this is like hey like the names are bigger yeah i mean i mean alex o'loughlin he's a lot bigger name than fucking daniel day cam i say sarcastically yeah well i don't mean like the actor themselves i mean like the role they play but but i don't i don't know i don't want to get into that because like, yeah let's not we are not we are not equipped to properly talk about racism. racism podcast no. <laughs> so moving on to actual comic news and m- stuff that's much lighter. Uh, it's been announced that there will be a direct sequel 
uh, to Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, so I guess it'll be almost nothing but, like, fourth season, because that's what it turned into by the last issue. Kind of. Yeah, so uh, still written by James Tidding IV, uh, still art by Freddie Williams. Uh, it'll be a six-issue series called Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. And we'll have, um, instead Secret of having... Of the Badoos? You know, no, instead of having, instead of having like all the turtles go over to the Batman universe, what, what it's going to be is Donatello is going to go over to Batman, while from the Batman universe, the turtles get Bane. Okay. Yeah, it's a bit of a... I thought, I thought you were going to say, like, Batman, the, the turtles get, like, uh, several Batman villains. Batman gets vanilla ice. <laughs> yeah, just suddenly the just suddenly the Batcave begins to echo with the bass line from fucking Under Pressure. Uh, anyway. I mean, that'll probably, that might still be fun, because there were stupid ideas in the first book also, but it was still fun to read. Yeah, because... They, because like uh, James Tinney the Fourth realized that yes, Batman, you kind of play him as straight as you can, but the turtles, they're just fucking fun. They can just kind of do whatevs. Yeah, I mean, it, this is probably this will be weird, but it won't be as much of a train wreck weird as Frank Miller Superman. Yeah. Well, that, that's because in this, like, you know that there is a that there is a level of respect from the writer to both to like both properties being used in this. Yeah. Whereas Frank Miller has made it very clear, you don't like Superman. But yeah, so the book, uh, the first issue will be released uh, December 6th of this year, with the second issue coming two weeks later on December 20th, and then after that, the remaining four issues will be released monthly. Which is a bit weird, but, you know, whatever. I want to read this. I really enjoyed that first one, and this this looks this seems interesting. I kind I want to see how these guys handle the individual like switches, but like the switches that they make with this. I I want to see how that plays out. Also, I like Freddie Williams' art. Yeah, no, the art style is a we it it's a weird way to combine like it it's a little bit it gets a little bit easier once they switch to season 4 Batman the animated series it's a little bit weirder with the first th- the d- art design from the first 3 seasons but um but i mean the 2D version of the 3D turtles was always a little weird but this if you're going to it you had to kind of make it cartoony to make it make any sense at all so this is probably the closest you're going to get to having it make any sense at all yeah so marvel uh this past little while uh released a teaser image as they are so wont to do yeah of a new character that is coming to their universe as part of marvel legacy maybe it's a single image of the new character, which is a lady in all gold, platinum blonde hair, kind of goldish skin with a red neckerchief, and it just says, Who is Voyager? Find out more September 29th. Oh god, they're introducing a bad Star Trek series. <laughs> it's like, my name is Voyager, but you may call me Janeway. She was Voyager, right? Yeah, she was the captain in Voyager. 
which I, when you the moment you said that, I just jumped to a critic who described Janeway as such. Bitch would betray the prime directive for a peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) 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 Oh, fuck. She kind of looks like she's designed by Stuart Eminem. Yeah, a little bit. I guess we'll find out in two weeks. I guess. Well, because the image you said says find out more September 29th. Yeah, I know. I just. I mean, I don't care. Yeah, who who the fuck cares? Anyway. Unless she's. Yeah, I guess. I don't don't care. I have to know more to care. (laughs) Yeah. So, final piece of news. Uh, This December, the Justice League, the main Justice League book, which has been written by Brian Hitch since Rebirth launched, will be getting a new writer and as well as a new artist. So, starting the artist I don't really care about, a new writer's probably a good thing. So, starting out with issue 34 coming out this December. Um Christopher Priest will be taking over writing duties. Christopher Priest, Christopher Priest according to DC Comics, is an Eisner nominated writer of Deathstroke. I I do not like Deathstroke, so I don't know what really to think of that. Yeah, it's weird that people tend to like the joke knockoff of Deathstroke better than Deathstroke these days. Yeah, it's because the joke knockoff of Deathstroke has way more fucking depth to him. <laughs> like, actual Deathstroke has, like, some fucking... He has, like, pathos to him and, like, an actual storyline that is tragic and could be making him sympathetic. But everybody writes him as either he is crazy murder machine or the greatest person who ever lived. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Christopher Priest wrote... One of the more iconic recent Black Panther runs for Marvel. Okay. Like, uh, right when... um, So, like, you know how, like, in the timeline of the comics industry, Marvel and DC started pulling themselves out of the 90s gutter around 97 or 98? Yeah. Yeah, that's when they started the Black Panther run that he's famous for. He wrote uh, a... He wrote a whole series of collections, both uh, recent and old. He also created Quantum and Woody. Yeah, which I've heard is a fun book. It is. (laughs) So yeah, he'll be taking over writing duties. Meanwhile, art duties will be taken over by Pete Woods, who's worked on, specifically for DC, uh, Robin and Action Comics. Okay. Sorry, I just had a minor grimace moment in terms of my fan fanboy nature versus others. Because in the article I pulled up that told me what he had, what Christopher Priest had written at the bottom of it said, "Who the hell is Mira?" Ugh. So yeah, um, he'll be taking over uh, art duties for a storyline that is going to be called Lost, in which quote. The Justice League is left reeling after a after a sleep deprived Batman makes an error that proves costly. And so the cover image that was released for the issue shows Wonder Woman diving for her sword that has Batman's horrified face reflected in it while there's blood in the blade. Okay. 
whatever. Yeah, so uh, Priest said a statement for the book. Uh, I'm really excited and very intimidated by the opportunity to step into DC's largest stage. The Festival of Big Gun Characters, Priest has never before been invited to write. It is my goal... It is my goal to mine a bit of new ore from this 50-plus-year-old franchise by taking the tack Jeff Johns and I developed for Deathstroke, a real-world approach, and exploring the character's humanity introspectively. That sounds nice. Uh, I I hope the guy does well, and he... Brian Hitch's run on Justice League has been hit or miss at best. Yeah. So, and I, I don't hate uh, Brian Hitch as much as Nico does, but I can still say he's not the greatest writer. Yeah. So maybe this change will be for the best, but I'm always kind of worried when a writer who's mostly known for smaller books or in individual character books goes to one of the big team books. Yeah, it's... Again, like we talked about with movies. Yeah. There's like no real middle ground anymore. It is, you are on the small shit, and then you are in the big leagues, motherfucker. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. Oh, apparently he wrote a couple of issues of the 97 to 2006 JLA run, but like relatively late after. I kind of feel bad for Christopher Priest on that run because he started writing it... Let me see... Uh, yeah, he wrote it after the following names. Uh, Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Joe Kelly, and Chris Claremont. Oh, God. <laughs> That's like having your fucking garage band trying to follow fucking Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and fucking Black Sabbath. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> Just, oh, God, that is the shittiest draw to pull. So, hey, here's hoping you do a good priest. Yeah. I'll check out the first issue. At least this time you, you're you stepping uh, you're stepping in for a writer we don't like as much. Yeah. So <laughs> Instead of, like, four of the most legendarily beloved writers in comics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, am I wrong about that? Grant nope. Morrison, Mark Wade, Joe Kelly. <laughs> you are not. Those writers are prolific and their names are known throughout the industry. Christopher Priest, less so. Like, again, fucking look at their accomplishments. Like, Grant Morrison. Yeah. Fucking Grant Morrison. Clear, Clear Claymont's the reason we know who the X-Men are. Joe Kelly made Deadpool who he was, and also various other stuff. Mark Wade speaks for himself. Christopher Priest made Quantum and Woody. Like, not, not a terrible achievement, but not on the same level. Like, they're fucking winning Nobel Prizes. You got, like, first place at your high school, like, intramural football league. <laughs> yeah, that's... Again, I hope it works out for him. I just... Yeah, I'm, again, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just trying to, like, put things in perspective. Yeah, like, I feel... I hope this works, or he gets his name noticed. One, I hope he's a good writer yeah. for a team book. Two, I hope he gets his name noticed after stepping in for a writer who... Let's face it, has not done great work for the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be great? Or wouldn't it be like real shitty of DC if just like 
which is like they end they actually end up like ending uh Brian Hitch's run like five issues early and then just have like a string of like the fucking super group of fucking comic creators just on just doing like fill in issues for D fill in issues for Justice League before Priest gets to take over. It's like, oh come on, dude. Not this shit again. Just like DC just is intentionally setting him up to fail. Uh anyway, that's good for this week. Thank y'all for joining us. We will be back in two weeks' time with episode of the Storeprods.com comic podcast. In between now and then though, we got bullshit coming out, I don't know. Stuff laughing. Yeah. Stuff fangs. Got a new Let's Watch coming out next week. That'll be fun. Tell that I'm dead. I'm Birdie. We will. See you guys next time.